This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 296. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we are concluding our four-part Russian Roulette franchise retro on Scream. This final instalment covering Scream 4 with my guest Kate Pollock coming up after the first break. Before we get to that let's catch up with where we are ladies and gents. We are finally, finally cruising into the home stretch before the summer series kicks off. It officially launches on Monday with the first instalment looking at 2010. So yeah, tantalisingly close. Um, One could argue within the next 40 hours you will be sitting down and listening to that episode. And I'm telling you right now, there will be much to see during and after that episode drops. In terms of what's coming out from Podcast Under the Stairs before then, well this episode obviously, and we have an episode dropping tomorrow which is a Arrow video assortment. That's right, we will be doing that for you. And then that's us all ready to rock on Summer Series action. On the Tea Putts Collective, we have just dropped where to begin with. Um, sadly, due to I think mistakes in calendars, no doing the nasty today, so that'll be coming in close proximity within the next weeks. As will the next Opera Omnia within the next week or so. You'll be getting both of them, and that'll be us all caught up on that feed, which I'm very excited about. Jaws is shite another regrettable outburst. dropped an episode today, so it is available. You can check that out through tputzcast.com. And there you go. I'm going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the sounder for the Russian Roulette franchise retro and the trailer for Scream 4. When I return, I'm joined with Kate Pollock. We'll be discussing that movie right after this. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. (laughs) The truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. (laughs) That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I'm Brad, the guy that's not Richard or Jeffrey or Simon. That's right. We have four people and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. 
Wow. Anniversary question. What is your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? One generation's tragedy is the next one's joke. What is your favorite scary movie, man? I'll show you. This week marks the anniversary of the infamous Woodsboro murders. Local celebrity victim Sydney Prescott chose to return to her hometown. Welcome home, Sydney. Watch the preview of coming events. What do you want? Who is this? He's trying to do ghost face. I'm standing in the closet. Liar. Dewey! What's going on? It's not public information. It's all over the internet. It is? There's a killer out there patterning his murders after the original movie. It's time for someone new to die. The unexpected is the new cliche, and virgins can die now. Does that mean that I'm not gonna live as long as these two? Clearly. To be the new version, the killer should be filming the murders. Dale! Dale behind you! Go ahead if you have the guts. Not to implicate him. He can't kill Sydney. She's victim royalty. Not true. Sid's expendable. Point taken. Guaranteed third act main cast bloodbath. Fingers crossed on some nudity for a change. Time for your last question. Name the remake of the groundbreaking... Halloween, Texas Chainsaw, Dawn of the Dead, The Hills Have Eyes, Amityville Horror, Black Christmas, House of Wax, Pop Night, Black Bloody Valley. It's one of those, right? None of the above. I'll be right back. I know this one. You're not supposed to say that, are you? <laughs> Should have seen the look on your face. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So this is the final one, the final scream for now. Anyway, I mean, there's a new one on route, but this is the final one in the retro proper. And uh, what a retro it's been! I've thoroughly enjoyed this one. I think the conversations have been weird, wonderful, illuminating, and yeah, I know it's sometimes a franchise that people. Like to go, where did it all go wrong? But every now and again, um, I get surprised by how much of a conversation you can get out of a movie, good or bad. Um, and this one has reminded me of that. And it's all led to here, which is Scream 4. Joining me on this episode is a long-time listener of the show, a contributor to the upcoming summer series, where you will hear her speak. Um, quite a bit about movies there because there's a lot of movies to discuss. There's no getting around it. Um, she is one of the hosts over at the Eternal Darkness of Not So Spotless Minds podcast. I always have to try and get through all the words in my head in the order that I think they might be in to make sure that you got right. it bang on. Ah, oh, see, I'm I'm on a roll now. Now that I've got it right, I'll never get it wrong until the time I get it wrong. Joining me is Kate Pollock. How are you doing? 
I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. And um, yeah, no, I'm just I'm I'm really buzzing to talk about this film. Are you all right? I am well. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, this is a this one was an easy one for me because I made the turn on this movie. I don't want to be all hipster about it, but I made the turn on Scream 4 before everyone started making the turn on Scream 4, so... Um, yeah, you certainly did before me. <laughs> I, 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 am, I have a lot of history with this movie, uh, which I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to getting into at the start here, because I, I, this question I've been asking everyone thus far is when they came to these movies, and, you know, what, what, what's their history with them? Scream 4, to me, is the one that I am most pleasantly surprised that I enjoy as much as I do. Um, and this all stems back to mutual friend uh, of ours, uh, Jamie J. Sammons, who uh, was Jamie J. Jenkins back then, on a show called The Skeleton Crew, which is sadly now no longer um, recording and putting ep- episodes. And I don't even know if their archives are out, which is a shame because The Skeleton Crew is one of the um, the big three that got me into doing horror podcasting way back in the day and I was listening to them for about a year and a half uh, before I got invited on to to do a review with them which I was very nervous about because they were the, they were the show uh, for me back in back in the day and they asked me if I wanted to be part of their Scream Retro <laughs> I was very excited and uh, then they were like uh, well um we'll let you know what movie you're doing and I had the fingers crossed and I was doing the old sorting hat thing from Harry <laughs> Potter saying not Scream 3, not Scream 4 um, and they were like Scream 4 and I was like oh fuck no because I saw Scream oh, so you got Scream 4 as well yeah I saw Scream 4 at the cinema and I came out like huh that was a movie <laughs> uh, yeah what we're doing here uh, see I landed Scream 4 and I, I, I went in with all that baggage of I was very hyped about it. Uh, I mean, this movie's now 10 years old. Uh, I was very hyped about it. I thought, it can't be as bad as Scream 3. And I came out thinking, well, it's not as bad as Scream 3, but it's not very good. And I watched it for that show, kind of trying to disassociate myself from that opinion. And what I found is, I actually really enjoyed it, <laughs> like really, really enjoyed it, much more than I thought I would. And what I found really interesting about the recording is we all kind of were on the same journey. All four hosts, including myself, on that episode kind of went on the same journey and we all ended up putting Scream 4 kind of high overall in our positions of the top four. Um, and that shocked me because I genuinely, I, I kind of felt like, am I going to be the dickhead that says this is a good movie and get told, no, it's not. And we all surprisingly came up on this one. And I actually think it's, there's a lot that we need to get into on it, but I yeah. think this yeah. one is most in line with the first one. Um, yeah. Not, <laughs> not in tone, but in terms of how clever the the how clever the meta horror is but specifically how tight the script is i think the script is a very very fun one which is mm. not as goofy as three although it does have a lot more humor like three um mm. but in terms of how it plays out it to me feels like the third movie we should have got that we didn't with the relative <laughs> to well, sydney that we didn't yeah need. i mean kevin williamson is back behind the you know he's back with the pen kind of thing fully yeah fully this time and i think that's really when i because i watched 
all of them in a not in a row like one after the other i don't have time for that but like i've watched them all over this last week and gone back and it was really with like an analytical eye that i was watching them for like the first time ever and scream three i've always had a soft spot for scream three like i've always found it kind of yeah it's silly and whatnot but like it's fun and that and but boy can you tell that this is not it's not a script written by kevin williamson it's not it's just the story, like the the whole thing just doesn't. So many rewrites as well on as they were filming. Yeah. It, it's just it's very jumbled. It's a mess. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a mess to watch, and it's not to say. I mean, people have already heard me and Derek talk about it. It's not to say that there aren't bits that I really enjoy in the third movie. Mm. It just doesn't feel like a scream movie. No, no. It's just, it kind of it kind of feels like almost like someone well it is like someone else has had a go at a screen movie and just not and that's pretty much exactly what it is um but yeah so it was it was interesting coming around to sort of this one with that one in like the middle of it all um plus 2000 is such an important year as well i mean Mm -hmm. 2000 as a year of horror is we're we're moving it's it it has the feel like you say of someone trying to kind of re remake a screen movie to yeah. some extent and style, but it's also landing at a time period where that's really on its way out. All those movies that were essentially cashing in their chips on the back of their their likeness to yeah. Scream were already that di- like two thousand is the year of you know of J horror. That's which is funny mm-hmm. because there's a, like a gag in here about that, but um, it's it's the year of J. That's that's when the the pendulum starts to swing very much away from slashers. They only had you got four years this time around, which is probably about the same time frame you got of the heyday of the original run of slashers is about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting enough, and get ready to take a shot out there, listeners. It's about the run of Jallos as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Jally mentioned in my notes, so don't worry about it. We'll get, would have got there eventually. <laughs> um, as, as you know, it's, it's about the. I think that's about as much time as a modern, you know, cinema-going audience will give any resurgence, any particular oversaturated run of horror tropes as mm. about four years and then we tap um i mean they'll still get made but they won't they won't have the same degree of popularity so yeah that's that mm. that screamed like i saw every screen movie at the cinema which i i'm old enough to say that i managed to do that even though i i did have to cheat to get into scream and i did have to <laughs> cheat to get into scream 2 did not have to cheat to get into scream 3 wish i hadn't saw it um and scream <laughs> 4 i was a bit long in the tooth by the time that swung around i'd just turned 30 so in fact no i wasn't even 30 i was still 29 Woo! still in my <laughs> 20s just a couple of months removed from I that i won't do the age comparison because i don't want to make you feel bad i, I, no, I, I know i know kate i know <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that, that's that's my history with Scream Four. Is this? I, I suppose because you are a bit younger than me, is it, worth is worth touching on. Uh, when did you come to Scream? Is because I I was talking to Scott about this, and Scott's a bit older than you, mm-hmm. but like Scream to me was the movie that I saw when I'd already seen a lot of slasher movies. So when I was right. a kid. Mm-hmm, I'd right. seen like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, all the rest. About eight, nine years old, I'd already done those movies. So when I saw Scream at sixteen, yeah, I was like, "Holy shit! This is this is like this is how I felt 
people felt when those movies were coming out and they were of proper cinema going horror age then I was like this is my version of that um, yeah. and I wondered if people that were in or around the age that I was seeing movies like Friday the 13th were finding movies like Scream um, yeah. so give us a bit of your history on the franchise when you came to it but specifically on Scream 4 um, so real brief Scream is my first ever horror movie ah nice it was uh just real, I've, I've told the story a fair few times because you always get what was your first horror movie how mm-hmm. did you get into horror so i'll make it quick but basically i was um staying at a friend's house <clears throat> as a sleepover scenario and her older sister had just rented scream and she because she had a, a friend sleeping over as well so they were like downstairs you know a bit older watching this film and me and my friends snuck down we were only eight i think at the time um so maybe nine but um, definitely no older than that <clears throat> and um, we snuck down and we hid in the stairwell because it was one of those living rooms that had like a stairwell going into the living room mm-hmm. you know, do you know what I mean um, and we sort of like peeked through the banister like bits and <clears throat> I just remember the like ghost face coming up and seeing Drew Barrymore get slashed to bits <laughs> yeah. and my little mind just exploded <laughs> Because, now don't laugh, I thought that I was hardcore because I thought that Hocus Pocus was a horror film at that point. All right. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, I was naive as shit. Um, and so when I watched this, and I wasn't really, I wasn't hit near enough to listen or anything, and I wouldn't have got any single any single bit of reference or satire or anything um, either. So I just saw Ghostface and Drew Barrymore get slashed to ribbons. And I was, I couldn't sleep for weeks. Like my mum would have to like stay in with me until I fell asleep. I had to have the lie on the the full works, but I had this real kind of like morbid obsession with it afterwards. And I would like sketch out Ghostface in my school books and like all of this kind of stuff. And like I did thing with, would like draw telephones and do graffiti writing of what's your favorite scary movie and all this kind of stuff so like it was a real kind of like my mind just opened up to horror at that point and then I think I think I just watched because I was still really young when they all came out um I think I still watched all of them at sleepovers on rental um was my first introduction I can't actually remember the first time watching screen two or screen three and weirdly I can't remember actually the first time watching screen four either but I remember just not really digging it um and I don't really know I can't even tell you why because I literally could not remember a single thing from it apart from a couple of cast members um and so it's really odd kind of going back um because I had all of this kind of I don't know I guess like this sort of like impression in my mind of like not that I, the thing is I've heard enough about it since to know that it, it I was probably going to think much better of it but I didn't know how much more I would like it and it was kind of like and then it was almost like a rewatch of the first time but then I was going in it not just as like a horror movie fan enjoying mm-hmm. the film but also I had to then watch it with a critical eye um, and so it was kind of interesting for me to go back and be like, I wonder how I'm going to, am I going to still like not like it for whatever reason, or am I going to have a far better appreciation of it? Because, you know, in the last 10 years, my horror movie knowledge and, you know, all that has, has massively expanded. So it was kind of like an interesting one for me, but we'll, we'll get into it, I guess. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So we had chatted back and forward about this one, um, before the draw. Uh, yeah. Where I think you basically said, you know, 
don't know if it, well, I think it's Scott. It's always Scott that instigates things. Where I think he was attacking poor Kirby. How dare he? Um, <laughs> I, I think there was a conversation going backwards and forwards, and you were just like, "Yeah, part four And I was like, uh, "You know, I, I think he, I, it might surprise you." And then, lo and behold, uh, you landed that movie, and I was like, "It might surprise you." But so, I was happy for I wanted it because yeah, I hadn't. Yeah. It was the only one that I didn't really remember, and I was like, mm-hmm. "That'd be really great to go back and and do." Well, we will see how this plays out then. So this one <laughs> is, like you said, written by Kevin Williamson, directed by Wes Craven. Uh, the movie itself, a lot of familiar names here, and Nev Campbell or Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. This one uh, has he <laughs> maybe above this maybe has the most star-studded cast. It's insane. It really, really is. Considering some of these people are only in here for small, small bits. Yeah, I know that whole cold open. Oh, the the cold, oh. cold open. You mean which I kind of love. Uh, but we have Lucy Hale. Um, we have Sinead Grimes Beach. Uh, we have Anna Paquin, who was doing the old True Blood mm-hmm. in or around this time. Uh, Kirst- part of the trailer, I remember that. Yes, yeah. Kirsten Bell, Amy Teagarden, uh, Britt Robertson, Alison Brie, uh, of course, Kirby, as played by Hayden Panettiere. Um, Emma Roberts is in here, Mario Jaffe, Mary Shelton. And then we start like jumping across to some of the male names. Some of these people have went on to bigger things. Some of them have not. I think it's, this is what happens. So you just have to roll with it um, or, you know, it just doesn't work. Um, but we we have a Culkin in here. Rory Culkin um, is in here. Justin Michael Brandt. Eric Knudsen. Uh, we have Adam Brody. Uh, mm. And then before we even get to, like, the cops. I mean, it's just like... Mental, isn't it? Like, it's fucking nuts. Anthony and Anderson plays like, a tiny yeah. cop role in this movie, which... And it's not a comedic cop role, which once again is just well apart from he's he's one liner when he dies, um, which I mean doesn't really make sense, but we'll let him off with it. Oh yeah, I've got a note about that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't I I know why. It's yeah, I know. It's like it, it kind of feels like this guy is genuinely funny. Just let him ad lib, uh, please. Um, yeah. Because he'd be he'd be funnier than what you wrote. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the cast list. It's worth saying as well here that Roger Jackson is back doing the voice, um, yeah. which I mean, that's cool. At least he kept coming back to do that. I mean, that's cool. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, and Dean Farwell is still playing Ghostface, which is once again kind of cool, even though he's uh, taller than both the killers in this movie. Um, so. <laughs> Slight blow. Slight um, The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb. Ten years have passed and Sydney Prescott, who has pulled herself back together thanks in part to her writing, is visited by the Ghostface Killer. Um, probably worth saying what it doesn't mention here is she's actually visited when she returns back to Woodsboro um, on the anniversary of the massacre, which I'm just going to say, if you're doing a book tour, never return, especially if you're the surviving victim, never yeah. return back to the massacre on the anniversary. Come back a week yeah. later or a week before. Yeah. Especially when you know you like copycat killers follow you around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, when you're a lightning rod for massacres, yes, yeah. yes, don't don't return back to the scene of the crime. Um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit of like I'm, I'll go slightly off track here because uh, no. there is like four questions to ask it's probably just contextualising where the characters are now the last time we saw Sydney she wasn't going to be that victim anymore she was going to own it um, and this is 10 years on and interestingly enough she has owned it although apparently it's taken her 10 years to write this book which <laughs> seems like a long time <laughs> seems like a long time time but then it's supposed to be her journey out of that so maybe you give yourself five years to get the yeah, journey yeah. Going. and, and you know editing and stuff and you know you've got to go through different drafts you've got to you know you've got to do all of that stuff as well so maybe yeah and it's, it's traumatizing so maybe she takes a break in the middle of it and then maybe <laughs> she goes back to it you don't know you don't know like, maybe yeah. she takes a holiday you never I, know i have no idea all i know is uh apparently gail weathers has managed to write like what another four stab <laughs> yeah, movies in that time a whole different kettle of fish isn't she yeah she's like four stab movies in the time that it's taken um <laughs> but basically like so gail weathers now uh, gail weathers riley married to dewey um mm-hmm. has settled down uh, she's no longer writing movies, but she is a writer, no longer a reporter. And actually, she's suffering from writer's block. So there's a dynamic there. Um, Dewey is now the chief of police. He's the sheriff, which... I want to know how that happened. I want to know how that happened. I also want to know why he isn't limping anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't just go away. No, no, that's, I don't know. Maybe it's the magic and the fallacy of chiropractors um, yeah. that, that have fixed this using their arcane arts. Um, so yeah, he's he's back here. Um, homeopathic remedies. <laughs> that's a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he's he's back here. So that's where our, 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 our main three characters are. Uh, we are introduced, because this is the sequel and we have to have a reason to come back, to characters that are related to Sydney that we never knew anything about. Um <laughs> because why not at this stage if you yeah. have a half brother that you never knew about who's actually the right. mastermind then I mean we can have an aunt um, and a niece uh, mm-hmm. also well no a cousin technically a cousin uh, who's yeah, played by Emma Roberts in this movie uh, who plays Jill Roberts um, and I suppose that's about as much setting of the scene as we have like essentially we're on a book tour with uh, Sydney, she's come back to Woodsboro. It's ten years since the previous one, and before we get into the four questions, the one thing I want to talk about because we've done it in almost every, we have done it in every single one is let's talk about like we mentioned before the cold open. It's the thing that really makes Scream the franchise it is for a lot of respects. You could argue, and we have done on other ones that the cold opens to these movies are usually better than the movies overall. Uh, they're really fucking good, apart from the third one, where we kill off beloved, beloved character, Cotton, um, who's now Oprah, apparently, uh, or Dr. <laughs> Phil, one of the two, um, which makes no sense. But it does, it does, I suppose it does kind of make sense. Cause, it's kind of what he was aiming for, wasn't it? Well, you've got people like um, Kate O'Kalen and stuff like that that were involved with the OG thing that went on to become like... Re- like media personalities for no other reason than they lived in the guest house. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know anything about that. Oh, yeah. You should do a bit of reading about Kate O'Kalen. That is a that is a only an America story. A guy who. <laughs> this was is a, a, yeah. I feel like in America you can get away with that. I don't think that would happen here necessarily. It was a. I think he was a surfer, who for some reason was staying in the guest house of O.J. Simpson's 
abode um, and got interviewed a couple of times and then the whole OJ thing blew up as it does uh, mm-hmm. after the murder and then all of a sudden he became uh, a celebrity on the entertainment channel as you do it's a classic segue I it's a classic one uh, right so here we go let's talk about this cold open and then I'll give you your questions this one I I really like this because it's the inception of cold opens yeah um, and they make reference to it in here which I like the, not Inception because Inception was now but um, the the idea of the the Twilight Zone movie within a movie so they make reference to that but what I really like about it is you get this is 10 years since you know Scream 3 a ton yeah. of things have come and gone in that time like mm-hmm. in the 2000s we had a, like a, a ridiculous amount of horror remakes which is a joke later on in the movie yeah. but we've went through god knows how many cycles we went through j-horror and torture porn specifically but also yeah. the idea of internet-based horror yeah and we get all these as metatropes almost as if Wes Craven and Kim Williamson are saying these are all the avenues we could go down and you know what we could have went down this way but instead we're going to put them all in the cold open get them out of the way and get back to yeah. basics. Yeah. I love that. So you have the, at first you're watching the two characters have meta horror commentary on torture porn, G-horror, internet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that shit. And then we get the killing, which seems really dumb. And then, oh, wait one second. It's just people watching a movie. So we're fine. And yeah. They make comments on Twitter um and facebook and how you you know that the whole idea of the ghost face killer and the opening kill is kind of tired and you know we're, we're actually we're over meta horror altogether that's like like anna paquin is me in this scene where she's just like that can we just not get a fucking movie that isn't making reference to how knowledgeable horror fans are on horror can i get an email <laughs> instead what she gets is a knife yeah, she does, and that comes out of nowhere, which I really, really love. I got every single one of these cold opens. I it got me every time. It's amazing. I I remembered there was two false cold opens, but I couldn't remember exactly when the kills kicked in, and I right. got giddy watching them again because I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is exactly how I felt in the cinema. It's exactly how I felt on the rewatch for the Skeleton Crew, and it's exactly how I feel right now. Um, it makes me smile, and then we jump out to the real cold opening um yeah. which is once it's a similar thing it's people talking about and in the case of this one is the very smart friend like just tearing into why <laughs> why sometimes people don't put a lot of thought into the start of the movies like they think they're being really clever but if you know the cold open to scream uh, to stab seven is you know that technically the opening to stab six then does that mean that the opening of Stab 6 is technically cold open to Stab 5? And our friends like that, you know, you're overthinking it. And she's like, am I? Or maybe the, the people, that, people that wrote it aren't thinking about it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they're thinking. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a really kind of like... It, it's, it's really funny how this film will do meta, but with taking the piss out of meta. Yes. And I think that's really savvy and smart because Scream is... No, that's what Scream is known for. It's known for... It flipping stuff on its head and you know shining a light on things 
um, you know, within horror, especially slashes. And so, you know, if they were going to come back and kind of just do the same thing again, it'd be like, all right, well, we can see Scream 1 for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the fact that they have shone a light on the stuff that has happened in the last 10 years, as you said, but also just sort of almost shone the light on themselves and then flipped it so that it's kind of like, we know that you know that there's these expectations and we're going to give it to you, but we're not going to give it to you in the way that you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how as well in the real cold open, <laughs> what is that what we're calling it? Um, the, they have, it, it almost plays out um, a lot of ways like the first screen. There's like a lot of little nods and homages, I feel like, mm-hmm. for example, like her going to the, running to the front door but not being able to unlock it so she goes upstairs just like Sydney does and the garage door bit with Tatum and they yes, can get caught in the in the what is that a dog a dog like yeah it's kind of like a cat flap dog yeah, door no, sort like of thing that's why you would have that in a garage door is beyond I don't know I don't know um <laughs> but there's that and I think as well like what I what I found with it is that everything is kind of sort of extra so like i found one of the things something that like i might mention later as well but like for example like um the voice like his lines are a lot more threatening they're a lot kind of they're kind of vulgar do you know what i mean like he calls the other dumb blonde with big tits like i can't imagine that happening you know yeah. 15 years ago in one of the original ones oh, yeah, um, he, he says that he's going to saw like was well, could cut through his neck till he saws her head off or till he hits the bone or something and it's like the, the worst you got in the previous movies are i will gut you like a, fish. like a fish yeah and i think that that's just like an indicator of like oh okay well we i think not only like you can imagine it in the writer's room like we have to step this up because people are used to a certain level now. We've had hostel, we've had sore, we've had whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, how are we going to do this? And I think what's right, because obviously it's never the same person. Mm-hmm. It's never the same person. So you've got someone who is copycatting or taking their own version of it. They're going to be putting their own kind of spin on it. So it makes sense that it's not going to be the same thing. And I think potentially those kinds of things were the things that irritated me the first time because I was ex- I wanted to go in and I wanted it to be, this is my comfort movie, this is what I know. This is-. And it wasn't quite what it was. Whereas now I can really like appreciate the, the fact that they are kind of upping that and they are kind of going more extreme because that makes sense for the character who is behind the voice. Mm-hmm. They would be more extreme because that's the generation of horror that they have kind of grown up on. Um, and uh, yeah, and like you're saying, like the fact that she turns around, she's not a you know a dumb blonde with just big boobs. I mean, she had, she's got like a really high G- GPA and stuff, and mm-hmm. and all of this kind of thing. And you know, and she's very analytical in the way that she watches the stab movies. Um, I think is like really smart. But at the same time, it's kind of like it it's it has these throwbacks to the first one. So it's like we're not ignoring the first one, and they definitely don't in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like appreciate that we are now doing like our own sort of thing on it for the modern audience as well as the you know the classic scream audience as well yeah well this was supposed to kick off a brand new trilogy originally um that yeah. was, that was the, the plan and um sadly it, it didn't quite follow through um and ken williamson and i've mentioned this before and recording was a bit despondent and he had this whole idea of his original idea was the Emma Roberts character would survive this movie and then you would follow the you know the the next three movies um 
or even if she did die in this movie, if she had to compromise in that, you would have this kind of cult of people who were obsessed with her fame as the killer. Right. And not supporting the Sydney character as the victim. And he didn't got that. I mean, that was a tough sell for the, the studio. That's um, mega interesting, though. Well, what he did was he just pivoted it to TV, which is basically what the following is. So that was his TV I didn't show. See that. Which you never saw that. No, First season, really, really, really good. Second season, I don't know what's going on. Third season, uh, it's not great, but ends amazing and they cancelled it. Um, oh. But if you like the Kevin Bacon, which everyone does, you should watch that because the Kevin Bacon that. is fucking amazing in it. So, um, yeah. but it's basically all about a cult of people that um, are obsessed with a serial killer. So, and their actions are playing out in line with what the serial killer would do. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Which is basically what he wanted to do with this. And that's what, and it never happened. To be honest, I think it works better in a TV setting, to be fair. And it was on the cusp of that. TV's now the new medium to start doing all these stories in. Um, It's kind of post-Dexter and stuff like that as well. So you kind of had an inbuilt audience who wanted to see gnarly shit. Um, But that was his his idea. He didn't obviously get that. And ultimately, I've said it before, and we'll talk about when we touch on the bad things for this movie. The biggest crime of Scream 4 is that everything in the advertising campaign threatened that a main character was going to die and they don't give it to you, which is a massive, in my opinion, is a massive misstep. Uh, One of the main characters should have died in this movie because otherwise, what are we doing? Are they always just going to be invincible? And there's there's no purchase to me in terms of a character, like me being scared for a character or not if they always survive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's why it's why I I can't I know everyone else can like really dig on those those superhero movies. I can't because they don't kill them off, and when they do kill them off, they can click their fingers and bring them back. Which don't irritate, watch supernatural is all I'm saying. <laughs> and it eats the fuck at me. Um, but anyway, right, you know how we do this. There is four questions coming your way. The first one I'm really interested in because you're now watching this with reviewer eyes as a podcaster, Kate. A lot of responsibility Ooh. on your shoulders now. Not yeah, just, I know. <laughs> not just an average member of the public walking around just willy-nilly stating your opinions on movies. Now people <laughs> listen to you for guidance. I mean, listen. Listen is such a strong word. But, they uh, listen to you forget. They will make a decision whether or not they watch a movie based on your words. That's how powerful you are now. You are a movie influencer. Okay. <laughs> a movie influencer. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> what, what does Scream 4 do well? Uh, it does a lot well. So, yeah, so me going back in with, with kind of like, kind of real kind of blank expectations i was sort of very open to this kind of fresh experience of it and i think like you yeah like i think i had a really similar experience to you like the first time i watched it i was just like meh i can't even remember why as i've said um but i was a bit meh about it for whatever reason and then going in this time i was like this is just a ton of fun um and it's what i think is really good is how well obviously we talk about the cold opens and then i think what is really good is how from that where it kind of almost sets the groundwork of what to expect from this film um and all the different things and how we're going to step it up and all of that and then we kind of go into oh but don't worry we're still we still have our old favorites Mm -hmm. you know and but then again it's like our old famous uh, our 
our favorites, sorry, but not quite as we know them. You know, we've got Dewey and Gail and they're married, but it's not the same dynamic. You know, he's the sheriff and she's not a reporter. She's kind of lost the thing that really, that she lives for. And he's kind of like, she was always like the boss of the two, like, you mm -hmm. know, if you're going to have it. Whereas he's now kind of got this power and he's like really stepped up into who he's supposed to be and it's not that she has an issue with that but it definitely does change that dynamic and they're not really that happy and it's kind of sad to see um and this and is then, the i'll be i'll be honest this is the only one out of all the movies where i genuinely genuinely like david arquette's character yeah i really struggle with him and all the other movies at times i think he's a very sympathetic character and then at other times i find him just flat out annoying or obnoxious um specifically that third movie he can yeah die in a burning pit um in that third movie and uh, this one even though he is still i think he has a line in here where he says something like you know you that's not being released to the public yet you can't talk about them being murders and uh, you know gail's like it's all over the internet he's like is it yeah. You know, like that's the only time you really get the like kind of the Dewey Dewey, if you know what I mean, that you yeah, had the in the previous one. Dewey. And the reason behind that is they have pivoted and done the old gender switcheroo thing that Hollywood yeah. does and given you Deputy Judy instead of Dewey, um, yeah. who is but she's like the efficient version of what Dewey like, she will be the sheriff one day, you can tell because yeah. she's. Like she's got all the protocol that Dewey says, but she's not naive. She's actually quite forceful in a way that I really like, and she is the smitten kitten of this movie. Um, yeah, I, I really like that sort of uh, threesome kind of thing going mm -hmm. on. I love the interactions between her and Gail. Like I, because <laughs> I love Gail, and like I do like Judy Hicks. I think she's a really great character, but I really also do love it when Gail like it to her well yeah because the thing is she doesn't like she's basically she is the the deputy dewey character but gail doesn't have purchase over that if you know what i mean yeah. whereas like dewey could be swayed with a battle of the eyelids and the promise 100%. of the dinner um judy's not gonna <laughs> she ain't gonna fall no. for that she's also like a special kind of stalker that i kind of love like her interactions because <laughs> she's made out to be a red herring in this movie like everyone is um <laughs> like really genuinely i think that's one of the bits we'll touch upon it in the the, the kind of the, the negatives where i'm i think there's too many red herrings in this movie mm -hmm. i think we go out our way to try and create too many red herrings but like like when she's like in the shadows in the house oh my god when i watched that i was like am i Am I got a glare? Am I not supposed to be? I was like, have I if I put this screen down? I was like, why is she so dark? Like, and then she steps into the light. I was like, oh, I mean, did it have to be that dark? Like, yeah, but she's like, she, <laughs> she steps and she's like, you don't remember me, do you? We were in a play together, and I sat behind <laughs> you in this class, and I'm like, holy fucking shit! Like, I I remember classes I was at at school, and I remember things I did at school. I would be hard pressed. To remember anyone that was in those classes with me, you know oh, what I mean? Really? Yeah, I remember everyone in my classes. No, 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 no. Like I hate school. Like, I, Unless I've forgotten like, about them, I just don't remember. I've forgotten about I've, them. I've bullied all the way through school, so I, I've, I've that's locked away in a compartment. Plus, I just didn't really like anyone at school, which is probably I nothing in common with anyone that I went to school with. So. Um, so, you know, I mean, from my perspective, like, I listened to metal. No one listened to metal at my school. I liked horror movies. No one liked horror movies at my school. Um, you know, I mean, I, I read a lot 
uh, of horror books, which no one read. Um, and I wasn't really into... I was athletic. I did, like, athletic sports, but I wasn't... I didn't do football or rugby or anything like that. Plus, I lived in a village which was out with the catchment area for my school, so I didn't live... But, like, when I went home, I had my group of friends who went to a different school. Right. So I didn't... So there was no need for me to try and make friends at my school because <laughs> I never saw those people out with school, whereas the people I hung around with got into trouble with and did all the stuff that, you know, formed you as a young true. adult. They didn't go yeah. to the same school as me. So, um, so yeah, I, I can't remember any of that, but she remembers every fucking detail, like how many seats she was behind, uh, like Sydney. Um, like <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't remember any, like the level of detail that she, I mean, I remember people who were pretty much like in my class. I mean, I kind of, I was, didn't really like many people in my year either mm -hmm. i was kind of really locked because i was into different things um but like i i think i just i have a slight not a full photographic memory but i do have a slight photographic memory so i think that's probably why but um like but yeah like i couldn't i wouldn't be able to tell you like oh they you know sat four things behind me and they yeah. had this non-tiny role in my oh so like when she starts talking about peter pan and all the rest and i'm like what are we doing here <laughs> and like you're a police officer how do you not know this is creepy <laughs> like, yeah, no, this whole conversation but she's brilliant mate marley shelton plays uh deputy judy hicks and she is fucking great i love yeah. her as a character she's awesome yeah, no, I think yeah, I think it's a really interesting uh, character to throw into the mix with it, and especially how it kind of like shifts about doing Gail, who we've kind of like, even though they're on and off and on and off, they are kind of we know what to expect with them. They kind of are a bit mad at each other, yeah. and then they make up, and then they're all fine by the end. And then with this one, like we kind of think we're starting off, they're a bit mad at each other, but there's it's different this time. Um, yeah. They're not playing with the same dynamics. That you know, Gail's having to deal with what she's got going on or not got going on in her life the bit where like you know he dewey's giving a press conference and <laughs> he just shuts her down it's just like it's it's this kind of like stance that he's this kind of like confidence in, in in himself but at the same time like i was kind of like well hang on a minute you're expecting her to treat you as a professional when yeah, you're yeah. in work this is her work like all right she might not have done it for a while but she's coming to you as a professional like she does she refer to him as Dewey, then. though, as opposed to Sheriff. Say again, sorry? She does refer to him as Dewey, though, instead of Sheriff. Like, everyone else is like, Sheriff, 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 and she's like, Dewey. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> Yeah, well, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, but I was just like, I've never been mad, well, I've, I've been like, Dewey's annoying, but I've never been mad at Dewey until that moment. <laughs> like, Dewey, come on. Well, like, asking a legit question here. Yeah, like, well, there's a, like, there's a, there's a, a great bit where she says, uh, where she's having the argument with, uh, with uh, Deputy Judy, and she's like that. Like, have you ever heard the term, I wrote the book on this? And she's like, well, I did. I wrote the wrote book, the on, book on Yeah, this. I actually wrote the book on this. Um, there's there's a thing about that though like she went down the sensational it's never really touched on but I really like it as an idea like when they talk about how in the background how off the wall the series gets like the stab series where they're like they go right. to space in part four they do you know like there's time I love all of that yeah yeah like where they talk about all the things that and she's technically although it's never implicitly or explicitly said that she has done she did all 
the stab movies, like in terms of the stories. It is like it's based on her like her books, the you know, the Woodsboro Massacres and whatnot. Um that the indication is that maybe she has like shot her, her journalistic self in the foot, if you know what I mean, by going so sensationalist with everything, you know, by going like off and writing movies essentially, which are like, you know, fully in the realms of fiction that maybe when she tries yeah. to make that transition back to being a reporter, I, I always kind of took that of the opinion that that's kind of why Dewey's like... And the publicist says so later on, you know, like, you basically, like, look at what happened to you. You moved to this small town, you got off the grid, you stopped, you stopped like, writing all this stuff. It's kind of like seeing that, yeah, you were maybe at one time, and we all get this way, at one time you were hot shit and you were the person we would have come to, but there's now a whole generation of reporters that are hungry for a story that are doing all this thing so maybe you're past your best and like you kind of like at times I feel that Gail is you know she's not the same character as before but what I love about that is that when she when she dresses down that publicist and turns around yeah. she's like oh yeah I still got it I'm like yeah. there are those flashes like when she gets back in the groove of setting up those cameras she does it very sloppily like old Gail, old Gail Weathers wouldn't do that uh, but old Gail Weathers probably wouldn't have been stabbed. No. As well, you know what I mean? So there is that degree that the game has kind of changed and that maybe she's playing by an old set of rules and those rules might not necessarily apply. And that's what makes her a really interesting... I actually think they don't use Courtney Cox that much in this movie and they bench her pretty quickly um, in the runtime of the movie. But I think that's a smart move here. Like, the the... the Characters out with Sydney are essentially background characters. Whereas in the previous movie, whole lot of Gale Weathers, whole lot of Dewey, not a lot of Sydney. It's reversed this time. A lot more Sydney, a lot less Dewey, actually. We spend a lot more time with other cops than we do, actually, with Dewey. And mm. the same with Nicole and the Cox. Now, I don't know how much of that is down to the fact that I believe they were divorced by this point. Yeah, they were. So, I. Which must be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that way. You, I know you're a Dexter fan. I'm a Dexter mm-hmm. fan. Um, oh, but it's, yeah. It's like that way where, I mean, they were married and then yeah. they, they separated, like, pretty quick. And it was just as the storyline of her, like, realising that she's in love with him. So cringe. <laughs> so cringe. I mean, if you're the writer, rewrite that scene. Like, rewrite that series. Like, take that out. Like, just do a rewrite. Um, like, something. Let's not put them there. And it's, you know, it's testament to their very professional... I mean, she's going to be on the new season, so it's, it's testament to their very professional attitude towards each other they can get yeah. through that. But the Courtney Cox-Arquette breakup, um, I, I, I think it was amical, but I, I, I think it was a little bit messy. It was um, very fresh. Yeah, and, it, and then they're into making this movie. So I don't know if that plays into... They're on screen time. I will say this though, I still believe they're a married couple in this movie. So Oh yeah. I think that's, you know, I I've always liked Courtney. I think Courtney Cox is brilliant. Um and she's really, really, really fun in yeah. this one, like for for sure. I actually really like the if we're talking about things we like, which we are, I really like Sydney in this one. Yeah, I do. I think it's a really great um like again, it's a really great turn of character and she you know, she doesn't like in other in the other ones. She kind of like she sees someone get killed in front of her. Understandably, she kind of crumbles a little bit, yeah. and until it's until it comes round to her, she just sort of starts crying and kind of shrinks into herself. Whereas in this one, like she's obviously has the natural reaction of being shocked, but then 
she's like right no action plan i need to get i need to you know get involved with this i need to sort something out i need to do this i need to do you know what i mean like with olivia's um death like she yeah. sees it across the road and she's like oh my god right no i need to go over and and sort that out kind of thing or do something well, about you, you it just anyway. touched on something that's a great that olivia's death is brilliant in this oh movie. my god it's so good it's so, like so i love the set like the setup like you spend so much time with the oh well clearly they're coming after jill they're clearly coming after jill that when you get that reveal of well he's not in the cupboard and he's like that i never said it was so in your good. cupboard and you're like direction. oh shit <laughs> it's so so good because you're there with the characters you mm-hmm. know like because because even with with kirby and she's all like oh yeah aren't you supposed to ask me a question she's been all cocky and stuff and like and you're kind of there with her like yeah we know how this goes we know how this goes and then like when it um yeah, when it turns out, like, I didn't say your closet. It's like, oh, shit. And it's like, you're there along with that ride, along with these characters thinking yeah. one thing and there's this total misdirection. And then all you can do is just watch as this like slaughter happens. Well, you mentioned it and I think it's, it's worth saying this is post movies like Hostel. Yeah. So when Scream originally came out, Scream was, you know, it, it, surprisingly violent. For 96, like that mm-hmm. whole disembowel and opening sequence. It never really goes there. No, no. After right, that, you know what I mean? But in this movie, the and none of the actual subsequent sequels, apart from this movie, are nearly as violent in terms mm-hmm. of the actual deaths. This movie fucking goes for it. Really? I mean, even even more than the first one, because yeah. even though we have, like, you know, her, her she's been disemboweled hanging from the tree, it's a blink and you miss it shot. Yeah. And whereas this one, it is... Like, it's a zoom in on the first one, but it's, like, zoom right up to her face and then cut. Whereas this one, it's, like, it's a zoom in and it's a linger. Like, yeah. look at those guts. Look at that blood. There is blood all over that wall. <laughs> it looks like a slaughterhouse. Like, it's everywhere. I don't know whether that's factually accurate in terms of blood spatter, but, like, but I don't care because that's just, it's everywhere and it's amazing. And, again, it's one of these moments, like, oh, oh, shit. Like, this is new territory here here kind of thing. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, it's never been that visceral in other in other. Films of this series, yeah. Um, the rules, the rules are different, and rules I think are they, different. yeah, they acknowledge that. Like they, like they openly say, like the rules of the kind of remake. Yeah, yeah, we can do what we, we, we can play within the. You know, it's now cool to go back and do things the old way, but we can just make things a lot more vicious uh, and, and make things a lot more violent. And that's, I mean, the that's the, the, one of the meta elements I've always loved about the Scream movies. Um, what they do as well, and uh, this is a bit that I love, and I'm going to mention this because. Like Dan Chase mentioned this when we were recording years ago and it genuinely made me laugh and every time I see it it makes me giggle because it is such a thing that you would do and I think it's just a small character when the publicist is being when she's doing the whole phone thing um, and she's like, like the, she's a nit he's like don't sound like you're in the hospital it sounds like you're in you know the yeah, in, a, in an abandoned car park. Yeah, and she's like, oh, yeah. and she runs, she, she runs to the car and she locks the door, and then the phone goes again. She lifts it up. She just goes, no. <laughs> she throws yeah. the phone like, on the seat, and I'm like, yeah, of course. You wouldn't answer that again. Every other movie, they fucking answer it. Every time the phone rings, they answer it again. Listen to Killer. She's like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, hundred percent. I really liked it. I really actually like talking about like kind of new, interesting characters. Like, I really liked her. She's not. I mean, I really like Alison Brie anyway, but I yeah. think this was before she got like mega famous. It is, 100%, yeah. And she's just, 
oh, she's just so funny. Like she's she, a publicist. She is what yeah. a, I, you show me the publicist. Yes. Yeah. You show me the publicist who isn't seeing this and thinking, Oh, we're we're gonna make so much more money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the way that she's just like tries to tries to not lose her cool with it with Sydney mm -hmm. because she understands that Sydney doesn't <laughs> quite view it in the same way. Um, but then she just kind of help herself and she's like, no, this is really great. We're going to make so much money. Oh my God, you don't even know. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, and then she's, and then when she comes out, what I love about it is how she's talking to herself, just like, she's going to come back. You well, know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's these things that you do, you kind of replay conversations in your head and it's like, and oh well, you know you're fired and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think that's the thing about her that I, I quite like that altercation with Sydney. It's not only that she sees herself in the right, but she goes one step further to be like, well, you know, she's going to phone me and apologise to me. Um, yeah. You know, like really, did you hear that conversation? Doesn't sound <laughs> like she is. <laughs> No, that's not happening. And she's like, yes, I represent, um, I represent, you know, Sydney Prescott. And it's like, do you though yeah. anymore? Like... Yeah, if she wasn't going with the MTV, Oprah and all the other things she said before, what makes you think that this call is going to be any different? Uh, <laughs> and I do, I, I think she's, a, I think that's the thing, like across the board, for the most part, I really enjoy like the new characters and i think mm. that's what kevin williamson brings to the table here um yeah. if we we mentioned it on the scream three episode the only reason to watch that movie is parker posey who is fucking yeah, amazing oh she's the best thing about that movie um, she's so fucking funny she's like amazing and I, that's the reason you watch that movie right um and yeah. here there's a few reasons why you'd want to watch this movie what i like about it and i also dislike about it is like Scream really goes out its way to let you know that the film kids are the cool kids, which even in 2010 is not true. <laughs> even now, even now it's not true. The film kids are never like movie club is not a thing, and no kid is walking around a school filming everything post Columbine. Ain't yeah. fucking happening. Not without getting beat up. Yeah, <laughs> like in the, in the la in the country of school shootings, no one's walking around with a camera on them all the time. No. You know what I mean? That's no, no, just, just nothing. But it's, it's one of the things you can have to deal with. You. Let's talk about Kirby. Because okay. Scott is going to be listening and Scott will be <laughs> interested on this one. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, because uh, we'll link into whether or not she's a good or bad character for you, which will depend which segment this falls in. Are you pro Kirby or anti Kirby? <sighs> <laughs> hard one isn't it it's really hard i was she annoyed the shit out of me so many times yeah because i feel like uh, i just feel like she's so she's that friend where it's kind of like and every okay so as film as film fans i mm -hmm. feel like at one point or other everyone does this everyone kind of does it but i feel like she just does it all the time to the point where it's like all right we get it you like film <laughs> where it's like she's the kind of person where she has to kind of like make all the film references or like or like point out stuff or like be and not for like interesting sake not like oh this is really cool or whatever yeah but like for the sake of aren't i so clever and i just feel like it just i don't know she's kind of like irks me and then as well i don't I don't really know. I don't really know what the point of her is. I, I mean, I, I, 
I understand her as a character. I just think it is a weird choice. Plus, I also think there's a misstep here. Like, we spoke, once again, without linking everyone back to the Skeleton Crew episode, which I wish you could all hear because it was fucking brilliant. And I'm not just saying that because I was on it. Um which is, you know, in itself uh, a great thing. Um, you can hear me, like, talk all like, thank you for inviting me on your show. Um, oh, what, like I'm doing with what I do with you, basically. You never do that, you lies. Um, like, <laughs> the, like, me and Jamie, of all people, were, like, 100% on the, eh, is Kirby really, like, a hardcore, knowledgeable horror fan? Because... Let me put it this way. Dude from the movie club's like, I respect your collection. You've got some you've got some real hidden gems in here. Suspiria. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like the, the most obvious Argento title ever. Suspiria. That'd be like saying, oh, you've got a really obscure Spielberg film here. Jaws. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like what the fuck yeah, are they doing here? And like, even yeah, like when they... That's it, that's it on the head. I think this is why it bugged me because I was just like, yeah, because there's nothing that she kind of brings that's really like... It's all kind of obvious, and she's playing it as though it's like this real kind of yeah ha 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 on I say club, and it's like no. It's- but this is this is maybe this is maybe where I have turned my opinion slightly on the Kirby character. Is I think she out of all those movie people, like the two that run the movie club and all the rest, she's the person I know. Right. As a real character. The person okay. that has like a small collection of movies, <laughs> but like you can qu- you can quiz me on anything. I know the answer to anything, and then you can only give them the softball. Qu- like her questions are like you know who played the original Leatherface, and it's like everyone knows it's Gunnar Hansen, but she's sitting there like I'm hot shit. You bet, bet you didn't. Did, did, do you feel that spark between us? Do you feel that spark? Yeah, I've got magic power. Like is is that sort of thing where I'm like mm, it's, that to me is like. <laughs> And like the questions that she gets at the at the end as well. Yes. Um, like when she because... rattles off every single horror remake, which yeah, is a very yeah. funny joke because I think it's only at that point do you realise how oversaturated. Like I joke about this a lot. Like the two thousands were the the remake decade, and people I know for a fact people are like, well, I don't hate on remakes, and then she reads a list of them out of all those remakes, and I can count about three from the list of, what, 15 that she reads out that are actually watchable movies. <laughs> the rest That's of them Valentine, right? Is in there? Uh, it's, yeah, I can go back to that one. I can go I back to that one. She says, she says yeah, uh, Black Christmas, and yeah, my oh. testicles go up inside me. Um, so, like, because <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Friday the 13th. Oh, not Friday. Yeah, Friday the 13th. Yeah, like Nightmare on Elm. She, she, she rattles off a huge laundry list of all of Even that, like, prom night. Ugh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I think Kirby is supposed to be a bit. Of, she is the hipster. She's the hipster of the group. I knew. I liked all this stuff before it was cool. And to be honest, like, actually, when you push her on it, her knowledge is. Don't want to say she's a basic bitch, but she's a bit of a basic bitch. And that's kind of kind of why I like that character. I think you need that because everyone else in every other Scream movie is just a little bit too knowledgeable in like, yeah. movies. Like, no one gets a reference wrong. That, yeah. That annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I kind of found it a little bit with this, though, as well. Like, it wasn't that so much that... Um, it wasn't so much that. It was, it was more like, apparently, everyone in this film is a horror movie fan to some degree. Yes. Like, people know about horror movies. Everyone, I'm like, all right, I get you in Woodsboro and that's like, you know, a serial killer 
kind of hotspot, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a horror movie fan. Like, I just didn't really believe that every single person in this film, like, it's supposed to be cine cinema club. Yes. Yeah, everyone just talks about horror. Well, every poster in the room is a horror poster. Horror. Yeah, every yeah, poster every... is a horror poster, exactly. which makes like, zero sense. That's not cinema club. That's that's horror movie club, which yeah. I can respect. I would love that, but like, it's like it. it and it's, it's the thing is with, with the Scream films, yes, it's a horror film. So yes, it makes sense that you're referencing horror, but I don't feel like every single character needs to. And I don't feel like, and if you're going to have a cinema club, but it's only about horror, don't worry about calling it a cinema club. Just call it a horror movie club. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not like that's the hill we're dying on. Just own well, it. The, the hill that they die on in this movie is by a killer saying factually, inaccurately, well, it's, it's subjective. It's all perspective. But by saying that, you know, well, it's like people Peeping Tom is the first slasher movie because it's the first one that gives us killer POV. Um, I don't know if that's. I mean, maybe yeah. it's the first movie that gives us a killer's POV, but I don't know if it's a slasher movie. I <laughs> like was, say, that doesn't make it a slasher movie. Yeah, it's though. a pro pro slasher, the same way that Psycho is a pro slasher. But this movie definitively states that out there. And once again, it, this is from the mouths of people that you have to trust are like is that sort of stuff that drives me up the fucking wall uh, when I watch a movie because I'm like I, like there's like you could that question is a silly question to ask because it's like there's no way to accurate accurately say this is this is a thing whereas all the other ones are yes or no answers and maybe that's the point of it is to, to well, well it's like the you know it's Jason's mother that's a killer. You know, like it's, yeah, it's yeah. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Kind of. Yeah, thing. It's, it's that way where you're deliberately putting something in there that's a, a trick to trip someone up. But it seems like a like of all the things that you could like beat Kirby on, that's the maybe the. <laughs> like, I mean, like I get the feeling that you could probably do you something. You don't have to try so hard. Yeah, I think you probably get her. Um, so yeah, I'm waiting on that one. We're leaning towards the negatives. I don't want to jump fully in there yet. No, I, no, there's I definitely think, still more stuff to say. But about I think it. you are right. I think there is an idea more egregiously in this movie that everyone is just a horror fan. And everyone knows the beats of a horror movie, which before we needed Randy to tell everyone that, because everyone was like, yeah, I watch horror movies, but I don't understand them. In this mm -hmm. movie, everyone understands them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I think, oh, you know, mm, all right, real quick, because I don't want to go into the negatives just go yet. But like, I think that's why when we have the, the quote unquote Randy Expo scene where it's in Cinema Club and they're talking about all the new rules, I don't, that doesn't have the same impact as it yeah. does when Randy in Scream 1 is going, whoa, 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 you don't know the rules, mm -hmm. you know, and all of that. And um, it, it's, because everyone's kind of inputting it doesn't have this kind of oh my god and we've also we've kind of already addressed it in the cold opens plus plus the thing is as well is it's not i don't actually think it's done for the audience's benefit whereas in the first screen movie it's done for the audience's benefit it knows that there is a small contingent of randy's in the audience in 1996 but the vast majority of people that went to see scream in 1996 were not horror fans you know there were people that heard this was the movie that you had to see this year and it will scare the shit out of you so people went out in their droves and then the movie very cleverly then gives you a randy character who like I said before, is a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the horror fans out there that explains the tropes of a yeah, slasher movie. Yeah, he's your guide. In this movie, in this movie, um, it is purely done for the benefit of Sydney and Gail. That's it, because everyone else in the room understands it. Um, yeah. It's Sydney and Gail that don't get it, and that's why when they they talk about the 
you know, the first kill has to happen at the house. The second kill has to happen here. So where's the third kill's going to happen? And then Sydney's like, oh, right, it's going to happen at a party because it's done for their benefit and not for the audience. And I think that's the twist. I think that's the switch is by this point, it understands that because it says itself, like, this is replaying the setups from the first movie because it's technically a quote-unquote remake because we're back to the beginning. But you know certain aspects have changed so it thinks the audience already knows that so it's done for this that's why it doesn't have the, the same clout and as you're very succinctly put it they did it all in the two cold opens three cold opens um they went through all that shit yeah uh, so by the time it comes to this i think it's purely for exposition for the characters as, a, as opposed to the audience which the randy character was there for before yeah yeah um no i i think i think that's absolutely right as well um but yes, on the sort of more positive things going back to that, I think obviously we've spoken about Olivia's kill and things, but I just think that there was like, generally just there was like a lot of really cool kills here. I thought oh, yeah. it was quite playful, mm-hmm. um, which I really enjoyed. Like, for example, um, the Aunt Kate. Um, I don't know why I forgot her name of all people. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, Aunt Kate Roberts. Um, and every time they kept going, Kate, 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 I was like, oh, we're going to have fun with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but her letterbox death, I thought it was kind of cool. Yep. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. I thought that the... Because um, it's not what you would... You, in every other movie, the knife goes through the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that also makes sense when you consider, like, who it is doing it. They wouldn't yep. have the strength to slam a knife through solid wood. Well, this is, this is the other thing that I genuinely enjoy about this movie is when it when it sets out... When you cl- you can clearly work out who does what death... That is not always evident in the other Scream movies. Like, there are times where you're like... Mm. It's in one, but not in two and three. Yeah, well, three you really one, have to, one. like, do a lot of running around to be able to do that one. And this one, it's clear. Like, if yeah. Emma's on the screen here, then it's 100%, you know, um, it's a Culkin. There's a Culkin yeah. behind that mask. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, a, it's like 100% because they are not in the same scenes together at all when those no. deaths are happening and then the reversal of that you know so and I, it's, it clearly sets that out but I think both characters are very slight as well that none of the deaths here are like I'm grabbing you and throwing you through like a, a you know a window or shit like that on that level out with the stuff that would make sense to the physical the physiology of the character that's doing it <laughs> I can't say that word yeah, yeah word this means, is so. And especially as well when you think about like how um, like when you are when you're in that fight or flight mode mm-hmm. as a victim, the you know I mean not everybody but you know generally you get that surge of adrenaline, and so it's if you're going to try and overpower someone even if you do have like um, the element of surprise or whatever, um, then like yeah you would have to I don't know you'd have to be quite strong or at least quite wily I don't know maybe because maybe they're wily maybe like you know they're slight but they're wily yeah um but yeah it's just but then again it's one of those things where it's just like with Scream I feel I feel like yeah there are some lines where it's just like okay this is just kind of silly but things like that I'm like ah I don't mind like it's it's fun otherwise you just wouldn't have a movie it would just be like the really cool bulky guy every time and look he's the killer you know yeah well the the Um, killers the killer is bested a few times in every screen movie and i I like that makes them vulnerable to an extent even though they always get it also makes the chase scenes 
have a bit of purchase because if you're almost getting away, almost getting away, almost getting away, then you're caught. Like those almost getaways every time I'm like, all right, she's going to get it this time. She's going to get it this time. Um, whereas if you're watching, if you're watching a Friday the 13th movie, you know, it's only a matter of time before Jason gets you. And by the way, nothing you do is going to stop him. And the movies move away. They ground themselves in the fact that there is someone behind. Yes. Yeah. There's things like where one, like in one scene, they attack Sydney early on in Sydney for lack of a better word, cunt punts one of them down the flight of stairs um, <laughs> over the top of her head. That you would not be getting up and walking the next day comfortably, even if you were a teenager with bones that were not brittle. Um, <laughs> you'd be walking weird the following day. Um, yeah. And ain't no one walking weird the following day. So that's, those things yeah. are, are slight. But generally we, we spoke about it in Scream too. Like there's, you know, you can clearly tell who's in the car scene um in that one because timothy oliphant at the end of that movie has a giant fucking bruise on his yeah, head yeah and you can also tell who kills randy because even before you yes. have the bit which i like, got a little bit stab happy it's just like well you only flipped out when billy was mentioned so once you know who yes like who the killer is revealed to be then it's like oh okay well then that was you killing randy 100 makes sense at that point so like those yeah. things there's a bit more thought putting into it than a lot of other movies necessarily try and do and i like that aspect i actually really like the aspect of like the kind of the, the the jill character being like do you know i've had to live in the shadow of this and all this stuff's happened and all the rest and her completely using, like, every other killer has used their partner in the Scream series. Um, the Culkin character as a... Right, because he genuinely thinks he's going to be the Randy of this one. Um, yeah. And I'm like, are you dead? Um, and I love, like, see her setting up the whole... This is why, like, um, I love Better Watch Out. I think it's a great Christmas horror movie. Um, yeah. But Better Watch Out totally fucking rips off this movie. <laughs> it totally rips off the ending. Um, where he's setting up exactly how the death's going to look and everything's done to, you know, like music and everything's yeah. like... It totally rips... And I'm fine with that, but it totally rips yeah. off the end of this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It we, we have a rip-off movie. Um... But yeah, I, I love, like, her at the end where she's, like, she stabs herself and you don't just get... Like, see when Billy and... <laughs> Billy and Stu are stabbing each other and they're just very like, ah, oh, I'm getting woozy, man. You know, like, it's this... You seem to be stabbing each other without much pain. That's interesting. When she does it, she's like, motherfucker! Like, she fucking kicks Yeah, yeah, I love that whole bit. She's throwing herself around. Yeah. Like, it's so good. And you feel that. And you, I, I don't know about you, I was just thinking like, God, like, I suppose this is why she's psychotic. But I'm yeah. just like, oh, could I do that? Like... You have, really <laughs> you have yeah, to really commit to this. Yeah, like really, that's a... Um, but yeah, I, 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 I know it's. I mean, I personally, I love that whole bit with Stu. <laughs> oh, it's, am it's amazing! It's right amazing. Up. But there is a part, like, like, well, like all these movies, there is a part where I'm like, hmm, like, I, like I've said it before. I said it on that episode, like, like the whole Sydney's in the cupboard with the voice box making a phone call to me is silly, but. Yeah. I do get that, you know, her bursting at the cupboard and she's screaming and all that. That to me is awesome. So you have yeah. to kind of pay it off as a, you're getting this, but on the flip side, you know, it weighs out to something great. Uh, to me, the, the the Jill character doing what she's doing and the manner of what she's doing it, I really enjoy because to me, it does feel like she, she is literally counting, you know, the, the tens of 
thousands of dollars she's going to get for everything she does to herself just initially in that first week afterwards from interviews and the books she's going to have and that's what yeah. she's thinking about all the way through this and as a result I I I it adds to that level of psychosis about the character especially when she's rumbled at the end like she, she still thinks she's going to get away with she it. She still thinks she's going to get away with it where she's got, yeah. like, a cop, Gail's there, another cop. How's she going to get out of that one? There's not a chance. Yeah, not but a she's chance. She, it's quite funny because she's kind of... She has... If, if he was actually a killer, she almost has tropes of Cotton Weary as well. Yes. Just wanting to go after that kind of payday, that that lifestyle, not have to, you know, and... Um, but, you know, obviously he's not actually psychotic, Um Mm. Isn't he cute? <laughs> um, Isn't he? It takes, a, it takes a whole lot of seconds to to pull that trigger um, on Mrs. Loomis and yeah, then yeah, sit there and then sit there and say, "Oh, by the way, but by the way, Sydney, I was totally, I was totally faking that thing. Where are you, Cotton? <laughs> yeah, maybe give me the gun. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, give me the magazine. You can keep the gun. Just give me the yeah. magazine. Um, <laughs> it does kind of feel a little bit like. Mm, but like yeah you can it's kind of it just it kept reminding me of that like all the way through just like she just wants this story she wants this lifestyle and stuff and i quite like how as well she was just like you know you don't get famous from doing you get famous from doing nothing nowadays yeah. <laughs> and it, and it was just kind of, i mean yeah like and always but yeah there's a lot of it um and i mean that was even 10 years ago before like instagram was really a thing yeah and, this is and, before influencers and they're already and I, what one of the reasons i really like this is it uses the internet in a smart way which actually on rewatching now plays out well Whereas yeah. there are some movies that come a couple of years before this that use the internet in a way which is fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> like, wasn't the way things worked then, isn't the way things work now. Um, mm. But this movie kind of captures that idea at, ahead of the curve of this idea of, like, internet fame is fame. Yeah. And this is, like, when you take into account that YouTube only existed from 2006... This is yeah. five years after YouTube, so people weren't YouTube millionaires yet. No. But nowadays no. you are. If you have a successful channel on YouTube, that's you. Oh, yeah. That's you sorted for life. Yeah. And you don't only have to do is put on some makeup kind of nicely. Makeup or get your child to sit and play with toys and then all of a sudden you're Ryan's Toy Review, um, watched by millions of children everywhere and with his own toy line and everything. Is that else. a thing? Are your kids maybe a bit... You've maybe just missed out on that. There was, like, there... Like, when Winter was young, there was a kid called Ryan. Uh, and for several years, Ryan's Toy Review was one of the highest... Um, kind of streamed video channels on the internet. And what? his parents just bought him toys. And he played with the toys. And then companies started sending him toys and for a about a four year period there the number one toy at christmas was predicted from what ryan liked You're um kidding. no 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 and he has like they're they're out there if you're in smith's uh toy store you will see ryan's toy toy in fact if you go to tesco you will see ryan's toy reviews toys and they made him a multi, multi fucking millionaire. Like, he is so fucking famous. Um, and we are now sitting back waiting for the inevitable Macaulay Culkin crash of that. 
I, I constantly joke that when he's like like twenty, it's going to be Ryan sex toy reviews. You know, people want to send them <laughs> flashlights and here's a pocket pussy review it, Ryan. Um, it's, it, it will eventually happen, but um, yeah, that's a. But this predicts that kind of before then, the idea of like vlogging was a thing, but it wasn't a huge thing back no, then. Yeah. But this kid is vlogging at a school. Yeah. Um, you know, like the idea of you know we'll be like we'll film things, upload it to the internet because it's going to be there forever, and then we'll live off a. It's st- that's still an early concept in yeah. twenty eleven, but they fucking nail it. They Ten really years do, removed, yeah. that's yeah. that's spot on. Yeah, and the whole thing with um, what's his face Mercer, I can't remember his first name. Um, yeah, like when he's got this, is essentially as a GoPro yes. stuck to his head all the time. And it's quite funny because obviously they, they, I mean, the new cast represents like the future of horror. The old, the original cast represents like the more, well, historic, I guess, horror. Yeah. And you've got Gail going, so hang on a minute, you just have that going around your head. And she's, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like me watching something. It's me, it's me hearing about Ryan going, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. um, and, you know, and she's, because she's of a time where, you know, she, as we said before, she was hot shit and this and that. And she was at the, you know, on her A game, she was at the front line of everything. And now she's kind of faced with like the future of, you know, things like blogging and the internet and all of this stuff. And she's kind of like fallen behind. Oh, she's and out of her element. She's completely out of her element. And she even says, I'm like, we're supposed to be working together and they fuck her over. Yep. But, but she was she was trying to fuck them over, which I love. Like she thinks she's like she says to them, "We can like when that whole conversation plays out." This is why I, I love this. Um, when she's like, "We'll team up together," you know, like and and I can do some stuff for you and all that. But when she gets the information, when she's like talking about who are the like horror geeks, who are the horror people, like who are the movie people at the school. When she's talking to them, once they give her the information, she's like, "Well, maybe there's something I can do to help you out." She doesn't commit to anything. Yeah. She says, maybe there's something I can do. And obviously she does exactly what they want them to do. She brings Sydney to movie club, which we never see that conversation happening. I really wish I off screen, but that kind of, I feel like we kind of have to, because those two characters are kind of, they're friendly in that they speak to each other, but they're not friends. So somehow Gail manages to talk Sydney into attending a high school movie club. Yeah, I I don't really know how that happened. I think these two they're frenemies at best. Just don't make it any sense. Like think, these kids yeah. are going to help us crack the case. This is the other thing as well. It's just like, and this is what the other thing I was thinking about earlier is actually how the kids in this film actually look like kids. Yes, they really do. They really, really do. <laughs> the kids in the in the first one that no, they do look like twenty something. Yeah, ski um, rich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like it, but it's quite funny how you've got Gail Weathers like. Like teaming up with teenagers, like I don't. <laughs> it's weird. It's just yeah, it's just kind of like, and also as well, just the way she's like, maybe I can do something for you. I'm like, dude, I don't know if they're legal yet. <laughs> I don't know what kind of exchange you're giving. Well, that's them, what she's but... but you're you're not far. That's essentially kind of what she's offering or winking at Dewey when she first meets Dewey. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. T- it doesn't work on teenagers, dude. No. When you're like in your forties, no. Well, or even when you're twenty-five, you know, like it's. I don't know. There's a whole. There's a whole like. There's a whole lot of downloads on Pornhub that would disagree with what you just said. So, um, <laughs> yeah. There well, is there is anecdotal evidence out there. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully they aren't actually seventeen, but you know. There are seas of crusty socks that would disagree with what you just said, there, Kate. <laughs> seas of them. Um, yeah. 
we're, we're kind of we're kind of heading this way, and I'm not I'm not wanting to cut our our good conversation short, but we are kind of starting to move into territory where we're picking apart a few things here mm-hmm. and I kind of want to lean into that because like I said before I really like Scream 4 I don't think it is a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination and we've already touched on the fact that everyone's a bit too like far too movie savvy more than any other Scream movie people are movie savvy yeah but the the thing that kind of gets me most about the huh, not a lot of adults in Woodsboro no like no. at all like, Where for all the this parents? shit going on, like, no parents seem to be bothered at all about their... Like, in the previous movie, like, like people had to band together, group to, all this stuff. We had the principal getting involved, there yeah. were curfews, yeah. there were... Yeah. There's a, there's a teacher we see at one point. Um, there is, obviously, like, all the police in the world. Like, Woodsboro is has the same amount of police as New York City and this one because there's a scene where like fucking 40 of them descend on a bookstore um, <laughs> and there's some adults in the bookstore but out with that you see no one else's pe- I mean Olivia dies next door we never hear about a potential funeral we never see her parents nope. grieving the window's nope. just boarded up um, and it kind of feels like and I was I was trying to think about this Scream doesn't have a lot of parents in it Scream 2 set yeah, at yeah. Scream 2 set at a university, so that precludes parents. Yeah. Scream 3 is they're yeah, adults. They know, are the adults. They are the adults at that point. But there's a lot of kids in this movie and not a lot of parents. No. This is why they were fucking psycho killers going around. <laughs> maybe you know? maybe this is why they're all Where movie the parents? Buffs. <laughs> you know I mean, because this is all they do. There's no parents there. They've been raised on television and movies. But okay. I, that, to me, kind of this one, maybe out of all the ones, feels like that is a kind of big plot hole. And maybe that's because the, the the adults in this movie are your Deweys and your Sydneys and your Gales. That that's enough adults in this movie. But to me, there's a lot of school kids here who are, you know, drinking whiskey out of, like, a crystal cut glass while talking about Suspiria and a massive house. Like, also, why has Woodsboro got the biggest houses? Like, what do these parents do? Are they all drug dealers? Yeah, I think, yeah, they must be, because this is why they're absent all the time, because they're off on these, like, drug trips and having to go down to fucking, like, Panama. (laughs) Colombia and shit like that. You know, like, this is what's, this is really what's happening. This is the real... Like, 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 this is like, this is where Pablo Escobar had his money, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's also like like once again like the the level of what we do here. It's no longer house parties; it's movie festivals. Like these two these two kids here managed to do a stabathon in a secret location, which is kitted out to the nines with a fucking cinema screen and all the rest. It's and not so secret when you've got a big fuck off neo- neon sign in front of it, is it? Well, the, yeah, when they're like I that. I feel like Braille didn't have to do much detecting to find that. Place. Well, they're like, you know, it's, it's uh, invitations only by email and it's to select few and then we're just <laughs> going to light up like Vegas. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, so there's that aspect. Tiny, tiny little town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, know. <laughs> I suppose the other thing, like another thing that I kind of want to touch on here is, like, some of the deaths are, I mean, they're bloody and they're violent. Some of them are not great. Uh, and what I link back to are fuck Bruce Willis cop here, oh, God, yeah. um, who gets stabbed in the skull through the brain. 
mm-hmm. manages to, to kind of press his head, move quite a distance out of the car while stripping, and his... That's a terrible one-liner, fuck Bruce it's Willis. It's so bad. And I'm assuming this is a reference to Die Hard. Yeah. And it's like, why? At least I, do yeah, a horror reference. I mean, that's not a horror reference. I mean, so true. At least got yeah, that. Real true, yeah. If they wanted to do it, they should have said, like, now I can see dead people, or I hope Bruce Willis will see me as the dead people, or something. something. Yeah, yeah. It's not very good. No, it's really not. I just, I, yeah, this is part of my thing. Um, and, yeah, I just, I've literally written, Perkins' death is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, the character's name's Perkins, and I'm like... Yeah, Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Do we... The other guy's called Hoss, but I never pick up a first name. Yeah, I mean, but do we, do we have to... This yeah okay so if Did we, we have to <laughs> yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about okay so yeah I feel like there are a lot of homages and I love an Easter egg and I love an homage but I feel like this is just dripping in it yeah. to the point of excess like it's not necessary to have all of this because it stops being special it just ends up being yeah a lot of movies do it as well you know what I mean I've I've lost count of how many fucking movies do this thing you know what I mean like do this kind of trope of like specifically like are we going to like the, the the road that the characters are on or you know is named after a horror movie or these characters are all named after famous directors or famous and the, the horror genre is the fucking worst one to do it <laughs> yeah yeah I don't mind it every now and then every now and then when it's special and it's funny and it's relevant mm-hmm. and whatever I don't mind it I find it I, in fact I quite like it I'm like ah I get it or whatever and I like that um, but I don't need this much I don't need to have it thrown in my face it's basically just giving me a fucking facial like of <laughs> of what of all of this like horror stuff I just I don't need it all cloying in my face I'm, I've got it I'm good you know like yeah I just that's that was like a thing for me that it just I was like really do we have, we don't need this as well and it was the same it was it kind of ties into the to the whole like thing of everyone is suddenly a horror expert yeah. you know it's like because then they can have these conversations where it's like they can just run off a list of horror movies or run off a list of horror, horror references and I'm just like either the people who aren't massive horror fans but are just coming because they know the name of Scream, they're not going to get it so it's wasted on them. Yeah. Or the people who are going to get it are just going to get bored because it's just, it's stupid, like for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like a lot of it's so shoehorned in, you know, like I can understand, I can understand what, you know, the Woodsboro OGs, you know, they would know shit. They do. that. That's their thing. The kids, fair enough. They're, they're horror movie fans and kids with pop culture. That makes sense. But as I said, like, the cops and everything knowing it as well, I'm just like, that's just, it's too much. It's just, it's just too much. Um, and then as well with the whole, oh, God, this as well really annoyed me. When he, when Perkins says, I'll be right back. <sighs> and then they're like, oh, you said the line or whatever it is. They, I don't think it's exactly that, but it's that they kind of clock themselves like, oh my gosh. Or maybe when you come <laughs> back, I'll be dead. Dude, you're supposed to be watching out for a real life fucking ass serial killer. You're supposed to be guarding this house of Sydney fucking Prescott, who you know, as you say, is a fucking like, I can't remember the term you used, but she's like a fucking just magnet for, for serial killers. Maybe don't make stupid jokes and maybe do your job. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I just felt like there was. It's fine to have comic relief, but 
like in the right places. Yeah, I, I think this is this is this is Wes Craven. I'm afraid uh, Wes Craven has a tendency. And he, he manages to sidestep it in a, a lot of the screen movies, but I don't know what it is about this one. Um, where I think old man Wes likes a likes a, a little joke in there, and he's got he's got dad sense of humour, um, <laughs> and sometimes that shit ain't funny. <laughs> like I think he thinks it's funny, and I'm sure he's <laughs> he's, he's having a great time. Him. Yeah, he's, I'm sure because this is technically his last movie. I mean, this was the last one that he directed. He died what three four years after this, um, yeah. and. Uh, the the girl in the photograph or whatever it was which he was involved with came out posthumously but it wasn't directed necessarily by him he had involved I think he produced it um, right. so I mean this is his last movie and I I always get that impression that I mean there's there's a part of me that thinks that the kind of idea of further screen movies kind well died with him essentially but i know we're getting a new one and i'm interested to see how it lands mm. but there is that kind of feeling that like even at this point craven had fun making them but i don't know how necessarily invested he was in and making them the best it, yeah. weirdly craven becomes the thing that for all intents and purposes he actually railed against in the 80s with right. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I made my movie. Why would I want to make a sequel on this one? And then they make loads of them and then he comes back to kind of bookend the series. And then when he does Scream, he's like, actually, this feels pretty good. Let's do a second one. Because like, he did House of Eyes too. So he had yeah. done a sequel before. And he makes that a second one. And then he's like, you know what? We'll come back and make a third one. Um, And then somehow gets talked into coming back to do one 10 years later after the previous one. It just feels like at times everything is very, very kind of tight and kind of vintage craving. And then there's other bits in here which just kind of feel like... You know, there's a, yeah. a couple of jokes in here that just kind of fall flat compared to the rest. And like I said yeah. before, I don't know how much of that is Kevin Williamson's script or how much of that is... Maybe some ad lib, an ad lib, and Craven laughed at. You know, what yeah. I mean? <laughs> that's, that's all it took to, to stay. I in. also as well wonder, like, because where he was obviously getting on, and like, I don't want to be like, you know, he was kind of clocking out or whatever, but like, he probably knew that he didn't have too many more in him. Whereas this is kind of like, you know, his modern, like, not necessarily his sole legacy, but like a modern legacy of his, like, and he was kind of like, okay, cool, let's do this one it's like going home kind of thing. I've done this three times already. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of like, fuck it, let's just have fun. I'm just, I like that. I like this. Crack it in there. Fuck it. I'm Wes Craven. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there is a part of even Craven by this point knew his legacy and his legacy was that he de almost defined every decade with a movie. Yeah. Which is like, and his active years of being a horror film director and not directing uh, softcore porn, which is where he came from. <laughs> um, because he started, he started directing horror movies. He was in his thirties by the time you know uh, yeah. Last House on the Left came out. So, you know, I mean, there's there's a part of them where I feel like, on some level, the meta aspect and all the rest. And here he's like, you know what? We're, we're going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to put something else out there that is a very biting commentary uh, with the help mm -hmm. of Kevin Williams and uh, biting commentary on horror. Kind of reset the, the scales again. But then I think it. I, I mean, there's a part of that just kind of. Like, 
Like he was arguing, I remember, like remember reading at the time he was arguing that because you don't see Kirby die on screen, um, Kirby might still be alive, as if she might be a, a character that comes back for Scream Five. And I'm like, you've missed the point here if you think anyone wants Kirby back for Scream Five. <laughs> like you also like are are grossly underestimating how popular Hayden uh, Panty uh, Air is going to be by the time. Yeah. You know, screen comes out. She like she was she was like she was famous already from Heroes, but by the time like this movie comes out, she's already transitioned. I think she did Nashville after this, which became huge. Um, but like, there's a lot of that as well. I don't know. It's like my issues with the movie are there. Interesting. They don't destroy it for me. You know what I mean? Like, no. whereas my issues with like I genuinely think the end in the Scream Two is too long takes too long to get like things I kind of love the fact that this one has the authentic kind of slasher ending we end up in the hospital yeah. every, and the, every other screen movie doesn't give you that but that's naturally where your brain's going because that's where Halloween 2 took it so that's where we're supposed to go we're supposed to go with our survivor to the hospital and there's going to be one last scare there and I kind of love the fact that this movie's like the one that's like you know what we're going to we're going to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, yay, we're going to the hospital. And, you know, like, because I, I do, like, this, I, I hate a lot of slasher movies, but I, I love a lot of them. And a lot of them are those ones that are like, you know what's going to be awesome? Going to the hospital. And I'm like, yeah. Um, so I, I like that it does that here. I also like, I, 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 so you get two endings in this movie. Yeah. But you don't get in any of the other ones. And I actually think both endings are fucking great. Yeah, yeah. I, and in fact, you are almost, in a way, almost kind of get through because they talk about how the party would be the end scene. Yes. And the other you're one. Right. Um, so you get that, and then you get the end scene, and then you get, oh, the other end scene. But it's not like Lord of the Rings where you're like, Jesus fucking hell. End. <laughs> ever going to end? I have fucking shit to do. You're like, no, 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 give me more. I want more of this. And, and also, as well, more Emma Roberts, please, because always. She's brilliant. Um, she's really, she's, like, she's really, awesome. really, really good in this. Like, she's so really, really good. good in this. <laughs> yeah, like, she's. Uh, okay, so if I, if I hadn't, <laughs> if I hadn't attended that cast pass, <laughs> where uh where we did that quiz where yes. uh the answer was what well, these who's the killer in scream for mm-hmm. um i would have been completely like and you know what even part of me as i was watching this i was like but she's here all the time <laughs> yeah. the just, well there's got to be a second killer and then i was like but who the fuck's the second like so when it came out who the killers were yeah. obviously i wasn't really surprised by her because i'd already but if i hadn't if I hadn't known that, I would have been like, the fuck? But she's the final girl. And what the f-? and I was like, what the fuck? He's the he's the comedy guy. He's the fucking film. Like, you know, it's it and what I love about that is that it takes the two people who are never the like, you know, the comic relief, and then you've got the final girl, and it's like in twisting, it's like, no, they're your fucking villains. But they even see it, the the like that in this mo- in this movie, you know, the you know, the, the the Randy character, which is basically the, the Culkin in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, the Sydney character, the, the, they're in love and they survive. So they're yeah. even going as far as to say, because Randy has, like, he's, he's infatuated with Sydney. Yeah, um, yeah. Which ultimately leads to his death. And what I love about this one is, like, Culkin's infatuated with Sydney replacement, Emma Roberts, and it ultimately leads to his death as well. So the, the key here is don't love a woman, right? Um, yeah, that's that's the the moral of the story is love no woman will get you killed. 
I mean, yeah, I can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> I can do, yeah. But no, <laughs> yeah, like I, I really like that. I like how the geek gets the girl. Oh, but does he kind of thing? Yeah. Like it. And this, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of you think you know, but you don't know. And now you think you know, but you still don't know. There's a lot of that with it. I liked um, as well. Um, kind of going back into the lights again now, but like there was a whole um, bit with that when it's got the other guy. Um, Mercer and he's got his he's got his camera uh, his GoPro sort of put on he puts it on backwards because he's like straight into the plant pot and I fucking I cracked up so much at that because that's just my humour mm-hmm. um, but yeah but then I thought his kind of build up was cool because it kind of plays with that thing because it's like it, we we had only just seen it where you know Gail was holding the camera behind her and then we see the killer come up behind her mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of thing again except that it's not it's you think that it's going to be the kill he's going to see the killer come up behind him um with the reverse reverse cam- camera angle and then it's not and he goes oh shit yeah and it's almost like um like a modernized version of you know when you close the cabinet mirror mm-hmm. or like and there's like and they even say it when there's actually someone like they specifically there. mention it as a drinking game when they yeah. say like you close the fridge door and there's a friend there but not a killer you exactly, have to take a yeah. shot and then the killer comes out and it's like a modernised version of that instead of a mirror or instead of whatever it's the GoPro and you think oh it's like it's the camera bit it's the shot on the camera and I was really and, it, and again it's these things where they play with your expectations they play with your like you know as, as an audience what you come to expect and then they kind of give it to you but then they flip it in some way yeah it's a surprising um, I think it's at times seen as being a dumb sequel it is a surprisingly smart movie yeah yeah and genuinely it's, it's masquerading under a lot of goofiness but it's a surprisingly yeah. smart movie, specifically in the setups and the kills. Like yeah, we talked about the, the 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 wrong cupboard. Um, yeah. We had another one that I love: um, the actual death of the publicist. She turns around and Ghostface runs out the shadows with a knife and stabs her. Yeah. You don't get that in other ones. There would be like a big, long, protracted scene where he's chasing her even furthermore. They're like, no, we need to get this character dead. And he runs out. It's a vicious killer and she gets lobbed off the top of a building and maybe the most public death from Ghostface yet? Possibly, but maybe also Scream 2 opener. Oh, yeah. Oh, good shout. Good shout. Well, then you, ha- you kind of have these throwbacks to all the other films as well. Yeah. Like you have, I mean, the whole end scene, is, I mean, it's aware that's what it's doing is a kind of a beat for beat for the end, like the climax scene of um, Scream 1. Yep. You've got the bit where, you know, where Gail's dressed up as the killer and she's going up and they're all shouting her and they play, they're playing Stab and they're doing all of the same stuff that they do in the cinema in Scream 2 when they're all watching Stab. And then you get someone, they're going, boo, get down. And obviously Gail's not stabbed and, you know, chucking up blood or whatever but like it's that whole kind of thing and there's all of the there's so many of this and that i think is great when you do stuff like that i think that's really fun and it's uh you know it's lip service to the fans and all the rest of it and i think that's fun but just calling a character anthony perkins for fucking no reason yeah. like that's when it's like oh what are we doing you know like you know that that's when it bugs me when stuff like that little homages or little if you know you know kind of things where it's like you have to have seen the other films and that's your kind of payoff for doing so um then that's cool but when it's just really just shoehorned in and just and just there for the sake of nothing it's like oh, that's when it annoys me you know yeah um, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. i'm with you 100 percent. i think like it, it almost undoes the hard work that it does because it seems just yeah. lazy 
Um, yeah, because then it ends up, it all kind of ends up in the pool, this pool of homage. Yeah. And it's just like, well, it's kind of all in with the rubbish homage as well. So it doesn't have, it doesn't, overall, it doesn't have that same kind of core impact because it's it lumped in with all the other stuff. Like, I love that bit where Dewey's goes, everyone's a suspect. Yes. And, and that's, that's a, ne- this is, this is my last negative that I'll mention. I think at times this movie tries too hard to give us as many red herrings as it does. Because on paper, technically... Yeah technically right we know Kirby isn't the killer but Kirby could technically be the killer because she's best friends with Jill and we know how that's played out in the Mm -hmm. past the two film guys could clearly be the killers because of their knowledge the fact that they all but say you know the killer would film these things then we find out later on they are the cop could definitely be the killer because she's yeah. a bit she's a bit creepy. Um, yeah, on edge. But let's let's let, let's flip it again. Like even even the way that Aunt Kate speaks in this movie and our what one of three scenes with dialogue because she's an adult so she doesn't get to talk. Um, <laughs> but she's like I got, I got like you know she's not the only one with scars. So well, my sister was and you're like oh for fine. Does that give you and she she is fairly drab in this movie and aloof and suspicious and not there much so she might be and then the movie tries to insinuate not to the audience per se but the characters in the movie that Sydney might be the killer which is the worst thing like the stuff was in like like Officer Judy says, you know, like Kate's dead and then Sydney just ran away and we're like, are we going to have a scene where Judy's standing with a gun later on because he thinks Sydney might be the killer because... Yeah, and then the real killer says, she's like, no, shoot him and it's the whole kind yeah, of like... They don't do it, thank, thank God they don't do it, but yeah. it just feels like we're doing too much yeah yeah i i I think i agree with that as well the only um sort of the real kind of like last thing that i have in terms of there's well actually there's a couple a couple of bits um one we've talked about the cops but i really just feel like i need to mention just how fucking useless they actually are like i know i know that stupid dumb cops are a thing for slashes and and i get that thing for Wes craven movies finished shutting yeah. and you could get him but all right cool just casually stroll across the house then no <laughs> fucking urgency his own like all right yeah oh no but oh but he got away no fucking shit you didn't even try mm. like that you have guns you could literally run to the end of the house and just shot him in the back bosh done do you know what i mean like and bit like oh just and we just let out. people walk out of a murder scene yeah, yeah, yeah. three teenagers like, walked down a flight of stairs one of them was only just arrived by the way uh, yeah. which is the Trevor character which I'm not entirely sure why he's in this movie but they do shoot him in the dick so fair play um, <laughs> you don't see that in many movies and when it does happen you get a, a, a nod of the cap from Duncan um, yeah. but yeah like the Trevor character who's really no no use at all because he's a no, jerk. I think, uh, if anything, he's just a little nod to the tra- crappy Trevor boyfriend in Scream Two. I think, think you're right. Isn't, Trevor is not that common of a name. It's, it's <laughs> also he's the most inconsequential character ever, which is yeah. Scream Two. Um, even with the setup of him coming, like being gagged and stuff, like Sydney's dad, yeah. um, you could have had that with Kate. Like you might not necessarily like 
maybe she gets stabbed and maybe she, but maybe she doesn't necessarily die and or like maybe she doesn't get stabbed at all and someone else has a cool letterbox kill and then maybe she comes back and she you could have okay. done it any other which way like and, he isn't that necessary it makes it much to me makes the jill sequence about her talking about how she had to kill her mum uh all the more impactful if i actually see that in that scene then I know yeah. how fucking ruthless and far she'll piss it. Rather than uh, a kind of anecdotal story about how she killed her mum through the letterbox, which we saw yeah. the other side of. You know, like, it's much more impactful if we see it there. I'm with you. Like, whichever yeah. character is a, is a non-character, really. Yeah. It's, it's used as a silly setup to the end sequences to pin it all on him. Which, once again, like you said, is the Sydney's dad. But yeah. it's 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 not even just on, on, on that level. I think, yeah. like, on top of that as well there is a, a, a distinct idea in this movie about what we're going to do and it's and maybe it's a Wes Craven thing again maybe it's a Scream thing I'm not entirely sure it could be a bit of everything and that there's just a, a massive assumption here always in these movies that people will do exactly what they're going to do yeah. you know what I mean and yeah. it's like all yeah, it gets yeah. not not on the level of like a saw where like saw really demands that everyone does exactly what the killer <laughs> thinks they're gonna do um, but there's like the they set up a thing where like we're gonna we're gonna and I know it has to be there for the end of the movie but we've planned this perfect murder out we're gonna stab Sydney but not make sure she's dead we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna kill Trevor and I'm gonna kill like the Culkin character dies too early in this setup you know what I mean like he, mm. he dies he dies at a point where you know Sydney sees what's happening here um, but also like she then has to do all the setting up of the whole crime like the scratching on yeah. her face the pull of the hair and all the rest moving things about the place which seems a bit more difficult to do that I would have thought she would have like why does that have to happen at that part and they yeah, surely yeah. you would set up the whole crime scene and that would be the last thing you did. Yeah. I just like to me it's like the it's the, everything has to go one hundred percent the way that Jilla has it planned. Yeah. But it also to, but, and how, she's not the most mentally competent person. No, in the I was room. literally gonna say this because she doesn't really have because she's all like relying on the footage info, like um implicating Trevor. It's like, um, dude, you haven't edited that. Well, it was supposed to get uploaded, wasn't it? Like when's that gonna happen? Like, I don't know, what did you think was gonna happen? Like the police were gonna confiscate and go, Oh, they said it was Trevor, even though we have a full confession, it must have been Trevor. Because she comes out with the ghost mask on, she's like, and this is where I turn off the camera. Like that. Yeah. So like that footage is where? Where's that footage? Like, because exactly. the police are all over this house. But the, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? But the, the <laughs> oh, oh, you made me hate it more. No, I'm not joking. I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's in all the screen movies. Uh, it's like, you're going to yeah. do exactly what I expect you to do, exactly when to lead to this scene. It's just part and part. All slasher movies do that. This, this is the thing. This is the thing. You can pick apart all slashers. You can pick apart, you can pick apart Screen One, which I think is an absolute phenomenal yeah. film. And, you know, if you're going to do that, then you, they kind of, we're doing it because it's this is the conversation. But ultimately, like, I don't really care. Well, no, because I love it. Like I said before, I, I love the fact that she, I love that scene where she goes through all the trauma to herself to yeah. set that up. You don't get that if. So if the payoff is I have to watch this thing that gives my brain a bit of an itch and my eye twitch a little bit to get that bitching scene afterwards, I will sit through I'll that take scene. It, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
like these things I'm pointing out because this is the conversation we're having. But like when I'm watching, I'm going, fuck yeah, like let's do this, that's mm. fun. And like, yeah, shoot him in the dick, fucking A. But <laughs> <laughs> well, she, um, by the way, brushes off really fucking fast. Well, yeah, but also though, like she is crazy. Yeah, but no, I mean, he brushes oh, off, he, he brushes gets shot off. in the oh. dick, he screams for what, five seconds, yeah, and she then. She had like 10. When, when no, no, she's like, she's like, she's like, she's still speaking to him before she shoots him in the head, and he oh, seems yeah. relatively composed and begs for his life. I'm sorry, you shot me in the dick. That is all <laughs> I would, I'd be delayed. You shot me in the dick. All I have is dick pain. This is the worst <laughs> pain ever. Ow! I, I wouldn't be like that. Don't shoot me in the head. You know, like <laughs> I wouldn't be able to form those words. Give me my dick back. <laughs> yeah, I would literally. All that be coming out of my mouth is dick. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Literally. Literally all I'd be able to say. So, he, he, but he does like when you watch it. Surprisingly composed before that bullet goes in his head. It's weird. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair comment actually. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah. You what know. else do you have? Because you said you had a couple of things in the negative. Oh no, it was that, and then it was just the fact that the footage um, would have. Oh, yeah, just, make yeah. Sense. I just tagged it on the end of yours because it was relevant. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't make sense because he literally says they have that conversation about they're going to edit and upload it tonight, and then she kills the guy that you would assume. <laughs> can do it knows how to do all that stuff once again yeah. i'm not painting jill into a corner that she doesn't know how to work like no YouTube but, like, that. but he's the guy who's doing all that stuff so yeah yeah although you could turn around and say well then that was his plan but that wasn't necessarily her plan you like could plan you could to, like, uh, like i mean from the moment she goes outside everyone has already looked at her as she is the the survivor she is the victim. yeah she's this hero so you but don't need to upload it at that point no, but it's still going to be taken in as evidence and the police will still see that. So she's still done. Yeah. And I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Let's move to the fun third question. Yeah. Because this movie exists after a movie, which I both think we think is maybe not a great installment of Scream. Um, so this one comes back. So if that third movie is the one that essentially jumps the shock or derails the franchise... And we're saying that, we, well, I really like this one. I, I'm getting the feeling that you kind of dug it as well. Yeah. In terms of the kind of, how does this write the ship then? Is it just simply going back to basics? Yeah, I do. I think, like, I think a lot of it is. It's kind of, because um, it doesn't mention anything about the third. There's not even any homages <laughs> to the third. There's homages to the second. There's homages to the first. Yeah, Dewey do, do walks fine. That's a that's a big indicator that they are not even yeah. fucking around with that third movie. No, yeah, he's all fine. Yeah, he's just like what what limp what. <laughs> um, Kaiser yeah, Sozies at, at the end. He's Kevin Spacey <laughs> yeah, at the end. The usual exactly. suspect shakes his leg off and does a which is interesting because that's what they do in Scary Movie. That's the that's the gag in Scary that's Movie. That's true. That's oh god, I tell you, fucking hell, watching these films, watching number two and number one, number two particularly. Well, Anthony Anderson's movies. in those movies. Huh? You know what I mean? Anthony Anderson, the cop that gets stabbed in the head that says, fuck oh, yeah, this he's yeah. in those scary bit, which is just bizarre. Yeah, that's that's meta. And then they give, him, they give him the name Anthony Perkins, which is the line, you know, we all go a little mad sometimes. That's, yeah. it's all fucking weird. It's like, it's yeah. weird how they do it all. It's strange. Yeah, very true. But yeah, fucking scary movie. It's just ruined this. <laughs> it's ruined it's so many scary. movies for me. It's oh ruined. my God. Oh. So... Many so many movies it, for me but yeah so yeah. like you think it's back to, like essentially think, going yeah, back to those like basics basic. it, it doesn't like try and pull a scream three where it ties where it tries to tie it back in with the original plot or anything yeah. but it has it's like inspired by like they acknowledge they i mean the characters full-on acknowledge the first one yeah. uh, and they and they take it as like 
a base, but they don't try to, not like the third one, it's like, oh, if we go back to the beginning, what you thought you knew isn't really what happened. It's none of that. It's just, all right, well, this is what happened and we're just gonna, here's our influence on it. Um, you know, it, it it then also has this way well, of- Well, let me, let me, let me like, kind of expand on what you just said there then. Yeah. Do you think it's because the characters themselves and the writers kind of openly admit in this movie that they see this as being a quasi-remake? Do you think that's yeah why uh, uh, that's what essentially allows them to move past the feelings of part three is because they they openly say it this is like a we're back to back to basics back to beginning this is the rules of the remake and that's what we're we're using here yeah. so as a result of that it manages to circumnavigate those issues yeah yeah no hundred percent yeah exactly um yeah it, it and it it takes that but it also and it, it expands it. On, like like a reboot would do like a like a decent reboot does it takes the basis of what the original you know does and it creates it it makes it its own um and it it creates its own sort of rules and law sometimes and you know and it and it expands expands upon that mm -hmm. it, and and then that's what we kind of have here because yeah we have like a lot of um beats of the first one and obviously a ton of throwbacks and a ton of references but like we've said, it's it's his own kind of thing because we have this whole new cast of characters that are more so like in the other ones you have this, they have whole new cast of characters, but they're still very much intertwined with the original cast members. Whereas this one, it's not so much about the original cast members, and it's much more about this new group of kids. And they, you know, they take these the rules and they kind of they they change them up and you know everything has to be gory and everything has to be more extra and all of this kind of stuff and so they yeah they 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 do what a reboot does and they pay homage but they kind of do their own spin on it um they take all the tropes but they do their own spin on it they take these characters but they do their own spin on it you know and it's it's very much that but what is great is literally what sydney says and it's my favorite line in the whole fucking film is just like you know any uh fuck i've written it down what if i've written uh i've only watched this happening i can't and she goes you're forgetting the first rule of remake remakes don't fuck with the original mm -hmm. you know and i don't think that they do i think that they do what they do with the original is exactly this great balance of paying homage and stuff i mean overall they pay homage too much in terms of general yeah and also that the, like i said before them ultimately suddenly ultimately surviving this movie yeah is maybe paying a bit too homage to the original also kind of there's a there's a weird commentary in there which is almost anti-remake with that statement at the end you know what i mean the fact that she survives yeah. this movie she's the one to say that line and they're all almost saying in this movie well look we've tried we're using all these rules of the remake and ultimately the original stands the test of time which is yeah. a very which is a very very cool thing to do in a movie which is at the same time being as meta as it is but actually works so well because it's using the rules of the remake you know it's, it's like i say it, to me it's the big misstep of this movie is that i kind of feel sydney needs to die at the end of this one sydney or gail interestingly enough dewey's such a non-entity um, yeah, that he could be in every he could be the Loomis of all these movies, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, like, I, I genuinely felt like that to me is the, the big missing part here is overall. that main character doesn't die. Well, apparently, yeah. it's going to happen in this one. I think it'll be Gail. 
I think it's likely to be Gail as well. Uh, but I also think that part of me thinks that they think that you think that I think yeah. that everyone thinks it's going to be Gail. So as a result of that, it's going to be Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested because this this is the thing what these films do do it it, it does the kind of um, reverse psychology on you. Yeah. Um, so everything that you think you know, it could be that, but it also might not be that, and so you just end up going, well, I fucking, I don't know. Well, you think about it this way, the first movie's 96, right? And we yeah. got three movies within four years, right? Yeah. And then it took 10 years for part four to come out. It's going to mm -hmm. be 11 years after part four before yep. part five comes out. So this is now a franchise with five installment that, five installments that spans three decades. That's crazy. Which is kind of nuts. So, yes, one of these characters needs to die. Um, they really do. And I, I'll be enough, I, they can't come back for Scream 6 because I'll be cashing in their pensions. What the fuck? They would die in the fucking <laughs> The thing is, They're though... They're open. Fucking Sydney dies straight off the bat. Bosh. Well, well they, they could go a Halloween resurrection on it. And, you know, it could be, they could just do, yeah. they could just get rid of her like Jamie Lee Curtis and then bring her back yeah. when Blumhouse re puts the franchise <laughs> a decade after that. I, I mean, I like I, I, on paper, if Scream 5 does well, there will be a Scream 6. Yeah. I think they're they're angling for it. And to be honest with you, if Scream 5 is at a minimum as, least, uh, as good as Scream 4 or Scream 2, I would come back for a part 6. Yeah. 100%. I, I, this is one of the few franchises where um, I've, they pulled it back for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so many that like that third movie comes out and you're like, oh no, and then it just keeps. It gets worse and worse. Yeah, and this one pulled it like this one <laughs> pulled the nose up before it hit the ground, and we, we're, we're we're kind of back in the in the good graces. Um, yeah, the only one I think I can think of otherwise is also a kind of this genre of this um sort of time period is Final Destination. Final Destination definitely um the one I always kind of lean back to, which once again it's last installment. Uh, maybe a, mm, that's after this technically um, Child's Play Child's yeah. Play is a franchise that uh, to me anyway I know some people out there are forgiving of mediocre and shit films um, but <laughs> like, like Bride and Seed are terrible um, and the then the bride. Yeah. But I think it's just because I watched it when I was a kid Everyone, well, like, I think there are a certain yeah. age group and a certain group of people that really 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 like that movie because I mean, let's it, not go that far but I just I'll watch it I I think you. I think like Kate, they really like that movie, and um, <laughs> but not like that. You get um, Curse and Cult, which I think are like two movies that that pull it back, pull it back from the brink. So there, there are some franchises that can do it. Not yeah. many of them can do it. And the interesting thing about like when specifically when you're looking at. Uh, Curse and Cult, Don Mancini has a much more active role in those and he's the original creator. In the case of this one, Kevin Williamson and yeah. Wes Craven are back together yeah. doing this one. Uh, and then the Final Destination one, I just think they, they didn't use 3D, which was a helpful start. Um, <laughs> and they got back to basics. Yeah, and I think as well with the with a franchise like Scream, it really makes sense yeah. that it does that because um, you it's a, it's a franchise that knows itself mm -hmm. it, from the get-go is never pretended to be anything other than what it is and it's very astute and self-aware and so i think that it's because it's very smart and the creators behind it for the most part are very smart um 
it would be weird if it didn't if they if they had like a little bit of a dip it'd be weird if they didn't then come back because they're so self-aware of what their genre is and what the story they're trying to tell is and the points that they're trying to make within that like it you know it kind of has to work because otherwise well what was the point of the other films if you're being that self-aware and that you're critical of a genre or not critical but just that an analytical of a genre and you can't tell where whether you're going off the rails or not 100 percent. Yeah. does that make sense no no 100 yeah, I, I think you're right on that one i think that's to me like knowing how savvy wes craven there's a reason you don't get a scream for like wes craven wasn't pushing for that you know what i mean yeah. um so i think there's a reason you don't get that when it's supposed to happen um like where people genuinely thought like at the end of the trilogy but there was already talk at that point about a potential like Scream 4 and it never happened because Scream 3 didn't do particularly well um, but the idea that we're uh, Craven would come back to do something involved with it when he didn't have to and it was not as if he needed the money to me yeah. shows that you know on that level he saw something in that script where it's mm. like we can pull this back and I think that's what you get and I think that's how movies are supposed to be made um, yeah. you know, they're not they're not supposed to go the other way um now, what's interesting, right. before we jump to the last question, uh, what is interesting is when we talk about Scream, we are like, what, we're about six months away from the expected date of the new Scream movie. Yep. Um, and once again, Ken Williamson is not writing this one. Um, but there's a couple of like steady hands behind the old uh, the old. Yeah, script, is it the right? uh, people behind Ready or Not? Well, it? yeah, they're directing it, but the the the, the the dude that's doing the writing for this one, and this is what kind of gets me excited, um, is the is the dude that did this little movie you may have heard of it before called Zodiac, um, which is a movie I fucking love. Um, yes, he has done some not so great movies as well, but he wrote Zodiac, so that's all that matters to me. That's James okay. Vanderbilt. Oh, I thought it was the uh, the ready or not guys. Who well, wrote they it they as well. they're also yeah. So so in terms of James Vanderbilt is is one of the writers and Guy Busick is the other writer. Um, the directors are the two guys behind Ready or Not. Ready so or not. Matt right. Bell Open and Tyler Gillette, um, who are behind Ready or Not, they did some stuff on VHS and and whatnot. So they're the the directors team behind that, and it has. A surprisingly powerful star cast again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've a lot of big old names coming in for this one, and like I say, we're we're about six months away from when it's expected to be released. So I think on that level, it will be interesting to see where it lands, and it's one of the reasons I put Scream on the list for the old Russian roulette franchise retro just now is gave me an opportunity to get back through those movies, have them relatively fresh in my mind mm-hmm. before going to see them in the cinema. So we will I see. I that this will be the first scream that I see at the cinema. How weird is that? Well, oh, you're assuming God. that lockdown is ever going to get lifted, Kate. Um, oh, <laughs> at this rate, nothing. No, I'm all joking. I'll be there. We'll go and see it. It does perturb me a little bit that they're aiming for January because January's the graveyard shift for movies. And that yeah. usually indicates a... Uh, do we think this still has some clout? But Get Out was a January movie. Well, I was going to say, the other way it plays around is nothing comes out in January. Well, horror movies tend to get released in January because nothing is usually out in January, out with movies that are considered for Oscar. 
um, yeah. contention, which means they tend to be a bit more highbrow, a bit more serious, a bit more dramatic, and horror movies typically play really well against those because not everyone wants to go and see that. And a lot of people want to go and see horror movies. So, yeah, that's true. Um, that's so that's true. the counter to it. So it seems like you are of the position that you would recommend Scream for. What would be the scene you would use to tell someone who'd never seen it why the, or let's say someone who'd seen Scream 3 and tapped out um, how would you get them to see Scream 4 what would you use what scene it's uh, it's obvious we've talked about it but Olivia's death scene it's brilliant um, it's I think it's my favourite um, it's gruesome um, you know for a for a Scream film you know um, so I think you can you know if you've got someone who has kind of been into the sort of torture porn movies or whatever of the last decade prior um you've got you know for the for the screen like original screen fans or splatter fans you've got how this is demonstrating that it's pushing the boundaries without having it spout out for them you know you could within this scene you can connect the dots for yourself um but for the more kind of like modern or what i call kind of popcorn horror fans it's giving them what they want but without worrying about anything like too much deeper than that it's really suspenseful you've got as i say you've got that amazing setup with the kind of the misdirection you've got the classic phone call um included in that which is so iconic of the scream series now um and then you've got as well within that because it's kind of almost like a two-party you've got the build up the kill and then you've got the bit with sydney kind of going over to the house and she then picks up the phone and so you've got a bit of like nostalgia for that one and also this was always going to be a winner for me because you've got sean of the dead playing in the background <laughs> so i was just like well how can how can we make it an already awesome scene even more brilliant I know, let's shove in some Shaun of the Dead and that's what we have, an absolute winner of a scene. And it's so, totally yeah. the movie you would watch if you just, like, if there was trauma and all the rest of it was a killer unless you would put on a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you would not be sitting there watching, and they do it in so many fucking movies as well. I, when the, the, like, something horrific's happened and then they go home and put on, like, fucking high tension or some shit like that. <laughs> I'll just relax and watch this movie which will take my mind off the massacre outside. I'm not going to worry at all. <laughs> I love this buzzsaw scene. Um, <laughs> awesome. Right, let's let's do grades here. So um, if people are keeping score out there, they'll know that Scream got a 5 for me. Scream 2 got a 4.5 from me. Scream 3 scored a 2 from me. Ooh. Uh, well, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I like some elements of it, but not enough to... I don't like it. Um, Scream 4 gets a 4.5. And when it comes to the rankings, which people will hear at the end of the show, um, Scream 4, you know, is he nose hair above Scream 2 for me. I, I, I genuinely think that much of it. I think it is a surprisingly strong movie that sits nice just behind that that top spot so 4.5 for screen 4 for me Kate 1 is hated it 2 is didn't like it 3 is liked it 4 is really liked it 5 is loved it 0.5s are allowed what are you giving it? I'm going to give it a good solid 4 nice yeah but I do feel I think like I go screen 1's I think I literally go screen 1 screen 2 screen 4 screen 3 but bearing in mind I really only watched it like really for the first time this afternoon yeah <laughs> like I've seen it before but I can't remember jack about it and it was when I was a lot stupider um so <laughs> so yeah so I, I I can see this going up in my estimations on on future watches for sure nice, well, nice. For now. Oh, awesome very very happy about that one glad we got to chat about it uh, conversation yeah. turned out to be pretty fruitful which I was hoping 
for because I've got a lot of time for this movie mostly because it still gets a lot of hate so I just feel like I have to I have to defend its honour yeah I think yeah it's not as perfect as you say but I think it's a ton of fun I think that it it's got such a great cast and it's got some really cool kills it's got enough comedy in there yeah I yeah really great film I'm very glad to have had an excuse to go back Awesome stuff. Right. Now, Kate, like I said at the start, you are on a podcast. That podcast is called, I'm going to get wrong this time, Eternal Darkness of Not-So-Spotless Minds. Yeah. Um, I'm nailing this every You're time. so good. You're almost as good as me and Matt. Almost. You know, but we only nailed it like last episode. So <laughs> uh, tell the people where they can check that show out. Uh, cool. So, yeah. So uh, that's the Eternal Darkness of Not-So-Spotless Minds. And uh, you can find that through Anchor and then that goes to all the other ones you've got apple you've got google spotify uh stitcher radio public you've got breaker as well i don't know who uses that but you have it um you can uh check out our facebook page that's www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash edinism pod edinism is just the acronym um instagram is at edinism underscore podcast and then you've got an email if you want to um of ed spotless minds at gmail.com uh but yeah it's just um horror and horror adjacent sci-fi futuristic i don't know thriller dark comedies anything kind of under the dark umbrella of cinema we discuss and chat shit as well phenomenal thank you very much to kate for joining me on this episode ladies and gents i'm going to close this one out be back to chat to you right after You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This, ladies and gents, has been episode 296, concluding our Russian Roulette franchise retro on Scream. Now, I can tell you right now, my ordering of the franchise is as such. Scream is my number one. My number two is Scream 4, my number three is Scream 2, and in final place, no surprise to anyone, is Scream 3. A big thanks to my guests for joining me on this series, Derek Bourgeois, Scott McKenzie, Barry Lowe, aka The Baz, and Kate Pollock. Without you, this series would not have been nearly as cool as it was, and I can say just now, one of my favourite Russian roulettes we have ever done. The next one will be coming next month and it will be covering One Missed Call. So three movie reviews, three guest hosts randomly selected against those ones. I'm looking forward to that one when it drops. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening to this right now, hit subscribe. That way you get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapots content. Subscribe to the Teapots Collective, the sister feed, and you get access to Where to Begin With, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty and Chronicle. Subscribing to both those feeds is the best way to support what I do under the stairs. Visit our website teapotscast.com to find the links to all the shows over there as well, as well as a link to Jaws' Shite and other regrettable outbursts. It is a booze beast banter entertainment podcast featuring myself, The Baz and Scott Liam from Scott Liam vs Evil. Our brand new episode dropped today so don't slip on that, check it out. You can jump across and check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teapotscast for the podcast under the stairs. Facebook.com forward slash teapotscast for the Teapots Collective. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash a regrettable pod is for Jaws' shite and other regrettable outbursts. Reach out and interact with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be cut at teapotscast. Nice and easy. Couldn't be any easier, could it? 
Oh, as has all caught up. Feels good to be caught up. Uh, once again, thanks to all my guests and thanks for the fun that we had on this Scream Russian Roulette franchise retro. I'll be back tomorrow with an Arrow video assortment. So until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, put care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.